Meanwhile, back at the Hall of Justice, our mild-mannered podcasters were bombarded by gamma rays, bitten by radioactive bugs, mutated by toxic waste, irradiated with cosmic rays, born into a world that doesn't understand them. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the Talking Comics Podcast. It's February 19th, 2020, otherwise known as New Comic Book Day. And you're listening to episode number 430, already 30 episodes away from our 400th podcast. Where does the time go? I am your host, Steve Say, and joining me, as always, is Mr. Bob Ryer. It's National Drink Wine Day. Skull! <laughs> That was great. Joey Cheeto is here. That was perfect. Perfect Foley on that one. Thank you. Yes, yes. And joining us, hasn't been here in a while, but welcome back, Professor Carolyn Coca. Hello. Hello, guys. Yeah, I checked. I haven't been here since July. Whoa. Was that longer than the last time? I don't know. I don't know. It's too long is the too problem. Too long, too long. Too, too Happy long. to be here. Yay. What have you been up to? Have you won any more awards? <laughs> All right. <laughs> That's very nice. Thank you. Um, what have I been up to? I, um, I'm writing a book, another <gasps> book. Yeah. Um, I keep changing the title, but it's something like Wonder Woman and Captain Marvel, Super Women in the Military. Something like that. Okay. It's basically about these two characters and their post-relaunch 20-teens comics and their first two films, the origin films, and how they are like portrayed as simultaneously feminist and military at the same time. Mm. And some people think those things go together perfectly, and other people think that they totally are contradictory with one another. Mm. So it's kind of about that and also kind of about... Like, does does it make these characters more popular than other female superheroes that they use, like, high levels of violence and have military men as boyfriends and military friends with huge guns and helicarriers? And, um, you know, that's kind of like a stereotypically masculine thing. But at the same time, especially in the comics and also in the films, they also, like, are rescuing women and children and caring for refugees. And that's like a stereotypically female kind of thing. So I feel like maybe when you put all that stew together, that kind of accounts for their popularity in some ways. So it's about that kind of stuff. Cool. That yeah. is a fine perspective. <laughs> and, Can't wait for uh, this one. Yeah. I mean, I've written some other, some chapters for other people's books, like edited books um, that'll be out this summer. And I've been to a couple conferences and yeah, so, you know, busy. Oh, right. And I was, Joey, 
knows. I was on a podcast last week called Questions We Don't Have Answers, Mm -hmm. uh, which is a great podcast um, hosted by Donovan Morgan Grant and Harrison Shute. And those guys cover all kinds of topics. Um, They just happen to be talking about birds of prey and female action heroes kind of more broadly. Um, and I was on the Backworld Oracle podcast last month. I've been on that before. And we talked about Star Wars stuff. And I'll be on that again next month, talking about some Birds of Prey comics and probably also uh, Clone Wars, because Star Wars Clone Wars is coming back. Oh, yeah. I wrote so, uh, an article for that today. Cool. Yeah. So, I mean, I guess that's that's what I've been up to lately. Pretty busy. Give me your hot take now that it's been a couple of weeks. Give me your hot take on the rise of Skywalker. Yay or nay? <laughs> Look, <laughs> a question. I'm a political scientist. The answer is always yes and no. You know, so like there were things I liked about it, but there were things that I thought were problematic. I mean, I could go messy. on about this for an hour. So yeah, I think it. I think it was pretty messy. <laughs> All right, so people should listen to other podcasts then if they want to yes, get their thoughts on Star Wars. Yes, uh, last month's uh, Batgirl to Oracle podcast hosted by Stella Bowman, who is a super do. I should say it's called Batgirl to Oracle colon the Barbara Gordon podcast. Um, and she just finished uh, 10 years of this podcast. She started Whoa. it. She started it when Stephanie Brown as Batgirl was week to week. And every week she does an arc. I mean, first it was all Stephanie Brown. Then it was all Barbara Gordon. Now it's Birds of Prey and Cassandra Cain at the same time. Because it's like 1999 in her podcast world. Yeah. So. An um, arc a week? I mean, um, an arc per show, I should say. Sorry. Sorry. Are there that many stories combined? I guess there would have to be, right? Well, I mean, just Barbara Gordon alone starts in 1967. So, yeah. Yeah. It adds up. It adds up. That's very cool. That's that's awesome. All right. Yeah, so everybody should uh, go and check those out if you are interested and you're in the mood for some more uh, Birds of Prey and Cassandra Cain talk and Barbara Gordon as well, which you'll be hearing about later on in this show as well. I won't say Uh, the same stuff, I swear. (laughs) Before we get to all the books and all the stuff, we uh, it was Valentine's Day this this past uh, little while. And uh, I don't know. Did anybody Joey, you went to the theater, did you not? I didn't go to the theater. I was in the theater. Mm. Oh, this, yeah. Theater, the theater. My my roommate, uh, if you'll recall a few years ago, he wrote that original musical, that sci-fi musical about a black hole eating New Brunswick. I don't know if y'all remember that. Called yeah, the yeah, yeah. Hour downtown. It was awesome. So he has a new show that he's been working on for a few years um, called Lover's Lane. Perfect for Valentine's Day. It's a true crime musical about a, 98 years ago. In the city of New Brunswick, a young uh, preacher, pastor, I suppose, was in an affair with a choir member, and they were found murdered uh, out on Lover's Lane, out in Somerset. And the rumor mill is that his wife and her brothers killed them. Uh, it's kind of this New Brunswick lore, this New Brunswick murder mystery, no boogeyman kind of story. Nobody really knows. So um, 
uh, my roommate wrote this musical. He spent the last four years writing this really awesome show. And uh, the first reading was this past Saturday. Um, so I participated in it. Um, a bunch of our friends, my girlfriend was in there as well. And uh, we performed for a sold out, sold out crowd. And the response was very, very positive. So, whoa. Yeah. So you'll see, you'll, hopefully you'll be hearing more about Lover's Lane uh, in the future. That's fantastic. I had no idea. I saw you had uh, pictures on your Instagram. I mean, yeah. you're always posting from the theater, but I just assumed that you were there for a show. No, I came out of retirement for this one. <laughs> Whoa. They're very lucky to have you. Yeah, no, it's it's great. He he just writes some really great stuff that kind of is at once true crime, gritty and, and gross, but also funny and quippy and, and really just awesome hooks. So uh, it was really awesome to 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 uh do the reading and uh and otherwise i'm on break this week so i'm kind of catching up on a bunch of books and and uh i caught birds of prey again uh third time and uh i did watch sonic today as well which was oh did you really sonic was tons of fun if you're Ah, if you're a child you will love that movie the kids were losing their minds in that film i was enjoying it but the kids were dying uh so it definitely hits that demo real hard how long is the baseball scene where he's playing baseball with himself 20 seconds Oh, thank God. Okay, good. I'm yeah. on board. It's very, like, if y'all recall Evan Peters in the X-Men movies, the Quicksilver stuff, a lot yeah. of those, a lot of those gags. And Jim Carrey being, like, very basic, classic Jim Carrey shtick. And I was saying, like, oh, it's great that a new generation of children will now experience <laughs> Jim Carrey. The Jim Carrey. The Jim Carrey. How many weird faces does he make? Oh, like it's his all every face, his normal face. His whole face. I really, I, I almost, almost took myself to go and see that over the weekend, but uh, I decided to stay home instead. I'm kind of regretting my decision. Uh, Carolyn, did you do anything special for Valentine's Day? Well, it's it's gonna sound a little unromantic. We didn't know that we would be alone, but at the last minute. Um, my daughter had a sleepover and we were like, um, you know, it was kind of too late to go out or make reservations or anything. And so we were like, okay, well, what movie should we watch that we don't want her to be in the house for parasite? (laughs) Yeah. So I I should also say before we watch parasite, we finished watching the mini series who killed Malcolm X. So that was our Valentine's day who killed Malcolm X and parasite. Woo. Not a bad double bill. <laughs> no, no. It was, I mean, I recommend both of them for sure. Parasite gets pretty tough toward the end. Woo. Um, yeah, that movie takes a harsh turn about halfway through. And, and just keeps getting harsher, yeah. And yeah. I also want to say that I had kind of an extended uh, Galentine's weekend because Sunday night I had dinner with Melissa Megan and Aaron Amos. Who's that? So I know, yeah. I know. <laughs> uh, uh, great, great friends of the pod as you know so um that was really great to see them and two other local people who shall remain nameless uh, who uh, are on this call right now uh, couldn't make it unfortunately oh this is true this that's is a true. shame yeah i wanted to but i couldn't same well i wasn't invited i didn't think it was <laughs> your size drive i would have driven out <laughs> 
Uh, that's lovely. That's awesome. Uh, we did a movie marathon as well. Bob, did you watch movies on Valentine's? Yeah, I a little under the weather, so that's why I didn't attend the the Sunday dinner. I was in a sort of a mood on Saturday, so I went anti-Valentine. So I watched ah, the, what'd you watch? 1967 Roger Corman's The St. Valentine's Day Massacre. Excellent. Al Capone. <laughs> I watched both the 1980 original and the recent remake of My Bloody Valentine. Okay. Finished off with was probably it's one of the greatest movies ever made, but possibly the most unromantic one ever, Vertigo. Oh, I don't think I don't think I've ever seen that. What? Oh, what? But Bob, the, the movies that I haven't seen that are considered classics would blow your mind. What do you think? Nope. Carolyn, you've seen Vertigo, I assume. Of course, yeah. And we we watched Rear Window a couple of weeks uh-huh. ago. Awesome. Um, but Vertigo is an odd bird, I would say. Yeah, I, I'd say that picture is very autobiographical to Mr. Hitchcock. Yeah. I yeah. <laughs> the whole making people over into icy cold blondes. Yeah, okay. Uh-huh, uh-huh. exactly. Yeah. Performances are very good. You got some cool angles in that bell tower, but it's pretty. It's creepy. Yeah. Hmm. Starts creepy and gets worse and worse and worse as you go. I probably should have finished, uh, finished it off with watching High Anxiety by Mel Brooks, but I didn't think All right. it just now. <laughs> nice. Just to hear him sing Sinatra songs. <laughs> yeah, Bronwyn and I ended up staying in as well. We ordered pizza, and uh, we ended up watching Little Monsters. Have you heard of this movie? With uh, Josh? No. Oh, well, there is The Little Monsters with Howie Mandel and Fred Savage. Okay. Love that movie. No, this is the one with uh, Lupita Nyong'o and Josh Gad. They basically, there's a zombie outbreak. They are visiting this uh, like day camp reserve type thing where they do a bunch of activities. And a celebrity children's show host is is kind of running the the thing that day. And, and they basically, they get invaded and they have to, you know take up shelter in the center of this of this campgrounds place and defend themselves. Uh, this is not a movie for the faint of heart in terms of if you are sensitive to foul language. There are so many curse words in this movie. I was really kind of blown away. Uh, Lupita Nyong'o is mesmerizing in anything that she does. I felt like this this role was quite a bit beneath her skill. She is just absolutely amazing, but she plays it so, so well. And if you ever want to watch a movie where Josh Gad's like evil twin like stuffed him in a closet and then decided to show up on the set that day to make this movie, this is not the Josh Gad that you're used to. This is not Olaf. This is like potty mouth Josh Gad uh, basically willing to sacrifice anyone and everyone if it means that he survives. It's real bad. But it was fun. It was okay. We had a good time. And the other movie that we watched is one of my all-time favorites, probably my top ten, is um, Jean-Pierre Joannette's, uh Amelie. Oh, lovely movie. Oh, God. Everything, everything. I've seen that movie so many times, but haven't watched it in probably close to seven years, I would say. I think Bronwyn and I watched it when we first got together, but uh, still an absolute masterpiece. Perfect Valentine's Day movie. The way that that film comes together, the personalities that are in it, the way it's shot, the way it looks, the music, everything. Just such a such a wonderful film. And uh, so that was our Valentine's Day. 
awesome. don't know what next year will bring, but uh, hopefully some more love. Speaking of zombies, did you ever get to see The Dead Don't Die? The Jim no. With, with no. Was... And Adam Driver? I remained I on the fence. Yeah, what, oh, go what, ahead, Carolyn. What did you think? Um, I, my, I try to go into things with low expectations, but given that it was filmed not far from where I live and given all the people in it, I had pretty high expectations and it kind of felt more like they were hanging out in a diner with no script and this is what they wound up doing. (laughs) That could have been what happened. (laughs) No question. (laughs) It does have that extemporaneous feel to it. It really does. Drummer systems generally do at a certain level, as opposed to, uh, Hal Hartley, his contemporary, where everything is tightly scripted and it's to the word and the rhythms of it. Jarmusch mm-hmm. is kind of all over all over the lot. I, I think it's fun. It is slight. There's no question about that. Don't yes. look for a plot. Don't look for common sense. But <laughs> you might have a really good time nonetheless. Yeah, for sure. Okay, Bob. Okay, Bob. I would like for you to go first. They win. I am going to put five minutes on the clock for you and go. Catwoman number 20 by Joel Jones and Fernando Blanco is the penultimate issue of Ms. Jones's stylish and entertaining run. Uh, with Raina Creel's long-running plans coming to a gruesomely severed head, or heads, I should say. You see, Ms. Creel has taken to mixing up a cocktail of a designer drug that in its proper dosage creates euphoria, but as an overdose will kill... And since she's using Lazarus water as a mixer, stuff goes a little wrong. Catwoman is Via Hermosa's only hope against an army of Reina's newly raised zombies, but she's experiencing her own losses, so that hope might be a faint one. I've tremendously enjoyed the heck out of Ms. Jones's take on Selena Kyle. Very sorry to see it coming to an end after the next issue. Oh, wow, that soon. Yep. Uh, Wonder Woman 751 by Steve Orlando features art by Jan Dersima, who first drew Wonder Woman back in the landmark 1989 annual that featured a murderous row of great artists, including Trina Robbins, Ramona Fraden, and Colleen Doran. Keeping with that baseball reference, Ms. Dersima has lost nothing off her fastball, bringing the best and most Wonder Woman-appropriate art that this series has seen since Nicholas Scott's run. Story by Steve Orlando is a lovely one and mostly done as Boston detective Nora Nunez spends the day with Diana so as to assess the threats the city might face due to the presence of its newest resident. A nice respite between bigger stories that showcases, as Mr. Orlando's work always does, the best qualities of the Amazon princess, and with the most welcome return of Ms. Derzima to these pages, this issue was, sorry, wonderful. I took a flyer on a book called Tartarus Number no. 1 by Johnny Christmas, who did Sheltered, Jack T. Cole from Unsound, and Letters by Jim Campbell, and it paid off in a very nice way. It's a lovely piece of world and character building, particularly in the case of Tilda, a young woman who might be the keystone to deciding a decades-long interplanetary conflict. Nicely placed opening chapter featuring a really diverse cast, intricately detailed yet expressive and lively art with hints of both Mobius and Christian Ward. So I'll be checking this one out again. And one last thing, a special nod to our old friend Stephanie Cook, who as editor helped assemble this pretty amazing team and who has a story in the next issue. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Now, considering our open discussion book, I thought it would be apropos to revisit The Pro by Garth Ennis, Amanda oh, Connor, Jimmy Palmiotti, and Paul Mounts, which first walked the streets in 2002. 
when we had Ms. Connor, Mr. Palmiotti on the show, they were quite thrilled that we want to chat about this amazingly profane, twisted, and very funny book. Our heroine, in air quotes, is an unnamed lady of the evening who has been given superpowers by an alien looking to prove that there's good in everyone. She is then invited to join the League of Honor, who are who you think they are, and things go predictably bad and in the most awful ways you can imagine. This book is coarse, vile, inappropriate, but hilarious in the way a good dirty joke can be. <laughs> All in service to spoofing heroes. But amazingly, the pro as a character has a lot of agency and more than a touch of heroism. Uh, Jim Steranko, uh, to whom the book is sarcastically dedicated, described the creators as cultural terrorists and the book as <laughs> sadistic, nihilistic garbage. So there's a rave, right? Uh, by, by the way, Paramount has picked up the film rights to the pro, and Amanda and Jimmy have said they'd like to see Sarah Silverman play the lead. Sarah Silverman? Yep. Yep. Okay. That's it for me. All right. Wow, you had a whole minute and change left, Bob. I don't know how you do it. <laughs> I, talk, I really don't. I talk really fast. I barely have anything to talk about, and I guarantee you that I'm going to go for five minutes. <laughs> uh, Carolyn, you read uh, Wonder Woman number 751 as well, correct? I did, yeah. And I enjoyed it. I was really glad to see Jan Dersima on art. Um, I know her, Bob, of course, from what you said, that 1989 annual, that's a really, that's totally worth having, um, worth taking a look at if you never have. Yeah. Um, and I know her from some, uh, Star Wars art as well. Ooh. Um, but yeah, I liked, uh, you know, it's hard, it's hard to like start up in a new city again. We've seen Wonder Woman do this a few times now yes. <laughs> over history. So, um, you know, you kind of want to have her familiar gang around her, but she kind of does because Etta shows up. And I think you guys might have to help me on this. Something about uh, Leviathan destroyed Argus? Sure. Uh, yes, yeah, yes, we did. I read Leviathan. Okay. You did, right? I so read what, Leviathan. What happened so to Argus then? Shall we help us out? Yo, Leviathan rolled up, and he's got this like massive organization. He takes out every single intelligence organization in the DC universe. Wow. Spiral, okay. Argus, CIA, whatever, uh, uh, whatever uh, uh, Waller heads up, gone. Okay. DEO, okay. gone. Obliterated. Sam Lane, Dead. That's oh. going Lois Lane. Yeah, yeah, he's he's bit the dust. Okay, okay. I mean, they just kind of said it in one phrase, and I was like, okay, I think somebody else probably knows more about this than me. But anyway, um, so I guess that explains why Etta is now running like a nonprofit that seems to be about um, feeding people after disasters. Mm -hmm. Maybe. Yeah. yeah okay. Um, so I, I liked um, in particular that, you know, Nora is all worried that Diana is just going to bring destruction to Boston because chaos and destruction follow our superheroes, as we know. But what I really liked is that um, Diana, of course, invites her along for, you know, come come with me, you know, hang out with me for the day like she did with Lois Lane as written by Phil Jimenez, oh. one of the best single issues. Oh, and Joe. Oh, my God. 
the uh, you know, the co-author who wrote that with Phil Jimenez, Bob. I don't have it in my head. Sorry. You know, uh, he, did yeah. he write "I Kill Giants" also? Joe Kelly. Yes. Yeah. Okay. So um, anyway, she said, but Wonder Woman is like, but look, I've I my mission is the truth, and I cannot ignore the truths of others, and um, that's what Nora, what gets Nora really to trust her, that she follows her around all day, and she sees that Diana really listens to people. She doesn't just like swoop in and. I don't know, fix a thing and take off, but she actually takes the time to listen to people. So I liked that he wrapped that in with the her mission. Um, and she kind of holds her hand out to Nora, you know, in that classic yep. never raise your hand unless you first extended it kind of thing. Yeah, exactly. Um, and then I like the person that shows up at the end. Yes. She's been around she since was. the 40s. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, yeah, so I, I liked it. I was happy. I was, I, but I'm, I was particularly happy to see a different artist. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it seems to have been the issue for a while for the series. Yeah, yeah, it is. It, it's a shame because G. Willow Wilson's stories were pretty good, uh, especially considering stuck in the midst of a couple of different events, but constantly let down big emotional moments by art that couldn't quite express it the way that was the art. Like, what's the word I'm looking for? Inappropriate or was it just funky? An occasional panel of inappropriate, but more was anything else was too much DC house style. And so either angry or nothing when you needed a little bit of subtlety. Yeah, it just wasn't really matching the text in moments that really should have landed. Right. But I would say in a couple recent Orlando issues, it was more, you know, uh, boobs in the face than yes, than not helping the narrative. I don't know. Yeah. So yeah, I yeah. So I was pleased to see this, but I don't know if she's on long term. No, one issue only. Oh, okay. Now, mm-hmm. uh, Joelle Jones is apparently a DC exclusive, and I guess she's free. Uh, is someone listening over there? Maybe you could put her on Wonder Woman for a while. Oh, that uh, would maybe, be amazing. Maybe you could go with Shtay Panchayat to come over and do some Wonder Woman? Yes! Hmm. Just saying. I have, a, I have a little Wonder Woman story. Okay. So I saw I saw that this book was was coming out, that it was on the stands. Now, I, I get my books digitally uh, for the most part. We'll talk more about that later when we get into one of the, our listener emails. But... Um, I was like, this came out, and I said to myself, I'm like, this is it. I'm going to do it. I'm going to find out where we're at when we stopped collecting Wonder Woman. And so I checked, and according to my calculations, we left off at issue number 71 for Wonder Woman. Now, I know that they've changed. They've gone back to the, was the legacy yeah, number? I don't know. I don't know that these, these numbers work, but we'll say it's the, it's the legacy right. it's very It's very yeah. confusing, especially yeah. when... You throw like an annual in there. You throw two giant issues in there, uh, one that stands on its own, whatever. So I went to go and check, and I'm like, all right, I'm going to go and see how much it's going to cost me to to catch up because I want to read some of the Steve Orlando stuff. And I just – I I saw the Wonder Woman 1984 trailer in the theater, oh. uh, Head of Birds of Prey. And that's the second time that I've seen that in the theater. And just every time that I see it – 
I I sit up in my chair and I'm just like, oh, yes, like, let's go. I'm so I'm so pumped for that movie. But anyway, so I go to look and we're we're out there. Like we're we're a good arc and a half, maybe more plus like the five ninety niners and and what have you that are sandwiched in between all of this stuff. Mm-hmm. And all of them are full price. Nothing is discounted, wow. even though they're older, which is not the most typical thing for a comicsology, a shop like that. And um, so I got all upset and I'm like, well, damn it. I'm like, I, I'm not going to go ahead and, and drop like, you know, 50, 60 bucks ju- just to catch up with uh, Wonder Woman when I have this other stuff to pick up. So maybe this isn't the week. And then I went to my local shop heroes in uh downtown london and lo and behold i walk into the shop and they always have the best used section and they have a lot of stuff that is in the used section but you you know that it's brand new some of them are still Mm -hmm. in their in their packaging and so i'm just cruising i always look at the the spines of the big books the the omnibuses and stuff like that and i find not one not two but three George Perez Wonder Woman wow. on the buy all awesome. for less than half price. You're wow. going to love those. I That's the gold standard right there. Snatched those up so quickly. I didn't even think about it. I just just grabbed them and threw them on the counter. I was like, I'll take one today and I'll come back for the other two. Please put this these in my in my box. And so they're holding the other two for me. I also picked up mooncakes, by the way, which was something. Oh, that you'll love that. You'll love I'm, that. Yeah, I'm really looking forward to it. I didn't get to read it for our uh, awards, and it finally came in. So I've got that now. But uh, I have the first omnibus of the George Perez Wonder Woman stuff. And even just thumbing through it, I got so excited. Like, I'm not going to dig into it yet, but I'm going to do it this year. I'm really, really, really pumped to see some of those older stories that I've never, I've heard so much about through this podcast over the years, but I've never read them for myself. And hopefully within the next month or two, I will go back and I will pick up those other two uh, Omnibuy. I can't imagine that there's a fourth one. Like the, I think it is three. There are four Golden Age Omnibuy, if you count the one that's coming out next month. Okay. But I think uh, it's is it th- it's three George volumes, right, Carolyn? I think so. Okay. You you got me started for my 60th birthday. Carolyn picked me up that first Perez omnibus. It's gorgeous. And he brought mythology back to the Wonder Woman universe. Mm-hmm. And yep. that was really special. And his art is incredible. He co-wrote the first what 17 issues, I believe. Mm-hmm. drew the first, what, 25, 26 issues? Mm-hmm. And then kept writing up until issue 62, I think is his final issue. And they're all worth owning, all worth owning. And I would add, not only did he return that mythology, um, which was great because it made for some epic storylines, but he also draws the Amazons as more diverse, Mm. and he basically kind of is 
saying that some of them are in relationships with others and he introduces a cool supporting cast. And so it's, there's a lot happening there. And that's why people like Phil Jimenez and Greg Rucka and Gail Simone and G Willow Wilson in particular sort of cite him as, you know, this is what you're trying to do. This is what Mm -hmm. you're trying to live up to. That's awesome. I can't wait to dig into it. Very, 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 very cool. Okay. Uh, Bob, did you have anything else? No, no, I think we, we, we extended my five minutes to about a half hour. That's great. All right, well, the moral <laughs> of the story is, is that uh, DC needs to put their stuff out faster. That's my uh, my little gripe, but uh, whatever. It's Nobody listens to one. me. It's a solid one, no. <laughs> I just get so frustrated. Everybody, I have people asking me every now and again, like, oh, why don't you read more DC stuff? I would if it was available, and it's not. So there you go. They're supposedly supposedly redoing their publishing thoughts about what's going to get collected. Instead of everything being collected, they're going to try to be more Mm -hmm. selective. So in theory, it should come out more quickly. Right. And to clarify, I do know that they put stuff out. I just, when I'm in the mood to read stuff from them or catch up with them, I find more often than not that that stuff is not readily available or collected and it's just it's just frustrating. Yeah, it's not. Uh, it has been for years. Yeah, it's where it's out the week after the fourth issue drops. There's a trade. Yeah, you know, like I don't know. I you can't be three arcs behind and not have a trade <laughs> for three arcs ago. I it just doesn't doesn't work that way for me. Uh, but enough of me. Sorry about that, uh, Joey. Yes. Hi. Hello. Would you like to go? Yeah, I'm going to talk about some DC books. <laughs> Sweet. Okay, uh, I'm going to put five minutes on the clock for you and go. I'm talking about two uh, major DC books that dropped last week. One is Superman Heroes and the other is Batman Pennyworth R.I.P. Uh, so I'll start with Superman. Guess what, y'all? Superman has come out as Clark Kent in the DC oh. Universe. Get hyped. Superman Heroes is by written by Bendis. They got Matt Fraction and Greg Rucka on here. Art by Kevin McGuire, Steve Lieber, Mike Perkins, Mike Norton, and Scott Godlutsky. Um, and the future of the DC Universe begins here, <laughs> as the cover says. Uh, so Superman makes this announcement via a Daily Planet editorial, and he has to go through several stages of questions and doubt. Uh, there's a great sequence where he visits the Hall of Justice and talks with all the Justice League. And there's a great spread, two-page spread, um, with each of his friends' responses to the announcement. There's an awesome sequence between Batman and Wonder Woman in which Bruce is like, this is a terrible idea. And Diana's like, bro, you're just jealous. And Bruce is like, how did you know? Uh, because it's the one thing that Bruce can't do no matter how hard he wants to. And Diana t- totally calls him out on that. She's like, Bruce, you can challenge him on every single level. Smart, strength, ingenuity, all that. But when it comes to this, Clark is going to always be able to one-up you. Um, and there's a great sequence where Clark visits his old chemistry teacher, uh, and talks about how he never cheated on any of his, his work in chemistry, even though chemistry kicked his ass. Um, even though he had x-ray vision and wanted to use his heat rays to, to burn up a pile of pop quizzes, he (laughs) always chose not to. And the chemistry teacher makes this quip where he's like, Clark, never in my long career of teaching has anyone cheated for a C minus. 
Uh, <laughs> and Clark's like, and I fought for that grade. And he's like, yes, you did. Um, I love it. It's a great issue. I'm, I love Superman. I just do. He's a, an amazing character. I loved this issue and it, reading this issue and then the Leviathan stuff from a few uh, months ago. I just, I want to now read more Superman. Um, and I reading this issue made me like do some research and try and figure out where I could jump on and Superman versus the clan is, 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 is wrapping up soon too. And I just love it. I love the Superman stuff. I, I find it so, so good, uh, and positive, uh, when done right. And, um, Superman heroes really reaffirmed that for me. Um, there is now one, another one shot coming out. I don't know if it's next week or next month, but Superman villains, which is going to weave Lex Luthor into this um, because Lex Luthor makes a little appearance and a little cliffhanger at the end here. So uh, I'm really excited to see where that goes too. Um, now Batman Pennyworth RIP is James Tynan, Peter Tomasi with Eddie Barrows, Eber Ferreira, Chris Burnham, Marcio Takara, Diogenes Neves and David LaFuente and Sumit Kumar. Um, similarly, another kind of anthology series I just want to lead with this. I wish that this had been Tynan's first issue on Batman before launching into the new run. Pennyworth RIP is a classic eulogy issue. Bruce, Tim, Barbara, Jason, Damien, and the now Rick Grayson. Because if you'll recall, Dick got shot in the head and he lost all his memories. KGB beast yep. shot him in the head. And now yep. he goes by Rick. I, I had to catch up on that. Anyway, <laughs> they meet up in an empty bar and they, they share their to Alfred's. Um, and it's all about how Alfred very much was the glue that kept that Bat family together and helped each of these broken people find themselves and more importantly find each other it's a very sad issue especially because as the issue nears its end you realize as the characters do that without alfred there really is a question as to whether the whole bat thing can continue and that's a story pitch right there so just yeah. imagine if tynan had opened with this one and then we go into the story where batman's overwhelmed and he's isolated and he's building up buildings and blah 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 and you know it just <laughs> a makes it could go for a year. exactly Absolutely. and i'm bummed that i read two issues of tynan's new batman run and i was kind of like i don't know where this is going i don't know what the point is and then i read r.i.p and i'm like oh now it all makes sense um and we know that he has a great handle on the bat family because his detective run was really cool um so it's a real bummer that this is like a month too late and i think it flew under a lot of people's radars um and as we've discussed on the show the mainline batman series has kind of unfortunately lost our interest a little bit um mm -hmm. so before i get into a couple of other books one note about both of those dc issues i love both of them i love the anthology structures I, the writing teams and the art teams are fantastic. There are some Damian Wayne, Barbara Gordon scenes in the Pennyworth RIP that are incredible. But here's the thing. I don't know who wrote what and who drew what. The credits page, no specificity as to what pages people are working on. Wow. Nothing. It's just kind of a Ooh. list of names. And I'm like, that is so sad because I'm reading these books and I guess I could like guess the order and, and try and figure it out but I want to look up these artists and I want to look up these writers and try and like find more of their work but it's just a, a pool of names and I don't know who did what so besides that though both of those one shots were fantastic and worth checking out 
Uh, very quickly, uh, three other books here. Um, X-Men number six, John Hickman and Matteo Bufani. Uh, okay, first of all, remember last time I talked about X-Men and I was like, man, I'm so excited to settle into a multi-issue storyline with the Children of the Vault. Well, no luck here, folks, as we get a oh. one and maybe not done with Mystique. Uh, to be fair, it is an awesome issue that really leans into the sort of Machiavellian intrigue that is now surrounding Xavier and Magneto, who enlist Mystique's help multiple times to do some sneaky, sneaky stuff. It's awesome, and the whole issue is twisted turny, and it really breaks down that kind of paradise image of Krakoa a little bit. Also, I'm a sucker for X history, so when the issue opened up with Mystique and Destiny talking about their love, I was like, yes, Ooh. throw it back. And then I went and turned on the damn Twitter, and all these fake nerd bros were like, ooh, boo-hoo, SJWs turning Mystique lesbian, and I was like, fake, <laughs> fake, 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 fake. Claremont always wanted Destiny and Mystique to be lovers way back in the 80s, but the comics co prevented it from being that explicit so when claremont came back to extreme x-men in the early 2000s he was like my time is now and confirmed it and then the two characters <laughs> literally raised rogue as her moms get over it and go read a comic you fake nerd bros um <laughs> i think I, i'm gonna interrupt a second because with time doesn't matter there there are comic legends that he wanted mystique and Destiny to be Kurt's parents. Exactly. And I was looking that up. I was like, wasn't there a storyline where Mystique like morphed into um, a man and and and, yeah. and Mystique <laughs> and Destiny had the child? I, I was trying to remember. And then I was like, no, that was a legend. But anyway. It's a legend. But no, it's a no, no. I, I, no, not a legend. He has said it in interviews. Well, yeah, yeah. I've, read, oh, yeah. I've read those interviews. Yeah. I, I didn't mean a legend. I meant like whether it was an actual print. Yeah. imprint. Or yeah, for, yeah, it's yeah. true. Um. I also read Nebula number one from Vina Ayala with Claire Rowe and Mike Spicer, covered by Jim Bartel. Yet another example of the MCU merging with the Marvel comics verse as well, as it feels like Vita was tasked here with kind of merging the complicated history of Nebula and comics with the robotronic cyborg assassin mercenary feel of the MCU. It's cool. I like the first issue. I think the first issue ends in a place where I wish that we were just going from the beginning. Um... Art is really cool, though, and, and kind of had me hooked from Claire Rowe. Uh, basically, at the end, spoilers, Nebula falls to the planet and she loses her memory. So now it's a great question of, like, who is she? Is she a killer? Is she a good person? What's her story? And I kind of wish that that's where we were starting as opposed to having this kind of complicated m attempt to merge everything in the first issue. Um, and last thing I'll talk about is Undone by Blood. Number one, Lonnie Nadler and Zach Thompson with Sammy Cavella for Aftershock here. Uh, dual narrative neo-Western 1970s revenge soaked period piece. Get hyped. Two stories unfolding in parallel. First, the core story of Ethel Grady Lane, who returns to the small town of Sweetheart, Arizona in 1977 to seek revenge uh, on the man who killed her entire family. She rolls up off the bus in her Lou Reed t-shirt, smoking cigarettes, like with a shaved <laughs> head, ready to throw down, looking like Tank Girl, perhaps a little too ready and eager. Uh, meanwhile, she's reading a, a pulp novel, Shadow of a Wanted Man, this old Western pulp that tells a similar story of Solomon Eaton, who returns to his ranch on the plains to find his son kidnapped and his wife injured by outlaws. Um, so we have these parallel narratives. Sammy Cavella's art on both is awesome. Uh, I really like this first issue. I am here for the ride. I love the Western stuff. I love the revenge pulp crime stuff. It is brutal, and it is it looks fantastic. Um, and that was my week. 
Whoa. Yeah. Nicely played. Who is Undone and Blood? Undone by Blood? Undone what? by Blood is Lonnie Nadler and Zach Thompson, art by Sammy Cavella. Okay, Sammy loves Sammy. What studio? Is this a... Aftershock. Aftershock. Yes, mm-hmm. I even wrote it down. Okay, great. Mm-hmm. That was a really cool one, uh, especially because I was coming off my criminal stuff from a couple of weeks ago, and I had to yeah. I have to wait for Brubaker and Phillips's Western to come out in a in a, in a couple months, and then this thing like slid into my DMs and was like, "Hey, <laughs> yeah." <laughs> uh, so I, I I picked that one up too. So hip, yeah, Joey. Check out Superman Heroes though. I loved it. Are you still reading Batman? Have you yeah, given I'm up? Still, I'm still, well, especially now after Pennyworth, I'm like, oh, Tynan, actually, there is a story to tell here. Bat- and you get a little bit of it in the first, in the first, I almost said first episode, the first issue, 85 or 86 or whatever, when, mm-hmm. when Batman accidentally calls Lucius Alfred, right? Right. And I was like, that's such a great moment. And then it gets bogged down in all this assassin stuff. But you know, if if we had opened with this Pennyworth issue and we see Bruce struggling with holding himself together as well as trying to hold together his family because what he's realizing is he's actually not too good at that without Alfred. Mm-hmm. Um, then watching him struggle against Deathstroke and watching him struggle to, you know, communicate with Selena and watching him struggle with, you know just throwing money at problems because he doesn't really know how to really approach conflict without the guidance of Alfred. That all makes sense now. Right. Um, and it okay. makes sense. Like if you like, if you really like think about it, but this, this issue does such a nice job of kind of pitching that. And it explains why Barbara has, has kind of walked away and Jason has walked away and Tim has walked away and Damien's walked away. And Rick Grayson is like, well, I don't know who I am. Um, <laughs> And, it, and everything, it just the pieces all fit in a way that then I was like, I'll stick it out for Batman for a little while because in some universe, Tynan's central kind of operant theme here makes sense. But I wasn't getting that from the first two or three issues of Tynan's run. So I'm glad I read this. And I almost didn't. I was like, this is probably going to be another one of those fanfare anthology issues. I don't care, whatever. But I was like, ah, no, I I love these characters and, and I'll see how it goes. And I was so connected to that moment in King's Run. I was like, I, let me read it. And I'm glad I did because it's going to keep me on Batman for at least a little while longer. So it's painted what Tynan's doing in a little bit of a different light for you then. Yes, 100%. And in All a right, way. I think... You've made my decision for me. I think I'm gonna I'm gonna pick this up and read it. Yeah. Cause uh, I was on the fence, and cause I I've I've been trying to push myself to get into the Tynan stuff so far, and I'm like halfway there. So maybe this will be the thing that will kind of push me over the edge. Yeah. Uh, does anybody have any questions for Joey about any of his books? No, you just cost me money though, Joey. Thank you. I appreciate it. It's nice to know that I should be in that Superman and Batman. I just, you know, the world needs a little Superman, I think. And Superman versus the Klan has really reaffirmed that in my heart. And then reading this issue too, where there's obviously a great, and I'm not going to spoil it. I'm not going to spoil it. There's a great moment. Superman announcing to the world that he's Clark Kent obviously elicits a very a response that you would expect from a Superman story and is just handled so well. 
Um, and Lois Lane is such an awesome character too. And she features prominently in here too. And there's a great Jimmy moment. Oh, okay. oh Jimmy. Sounds good, man. You, uh, you're costing me quite a bit of money there. That's my job. Good job. <laughs> okay, let's see here. I will do my lightning round. So my uh, my big book that we all happen to share this week, uh, we'll, we'll move into the open discussion. But for now, I'm going to put five minutes on the clock for myself. And so from Boom Studios... We have Alienated, number one, written by Cy Spurrier. Did you guys hear that? Yes. Sarah. I, I, Sarah, did you hear that? I could hear Sarah all the way from England. <laughs> so, uh, Cy Spurrier, illustrations by Chris Wildgoose. I love his last name so much. Uh, colors by Andre May and letters by Jim Campbell. So, this book is essentially, it's about three loners. You have the wannabe influencer, the girl who just wants to disappear until college, and the dude who pretends to like everything just so he can be a part of the conversation. One of those. Anyway, they discover a mysterious sack-like entity in the woods that links them to one another, telepathically speaking. Brain buds. Yeah. <laughs> so now they have no choice but to remain inside of each other's heads until they solve the mystery of what this thing is, what has it done to them, and what does it mean for them going forward? Are they forever changed? Are they forever linked? Three people who were very much alone are suddenly a part of one another, and not all of them are too thrilled about it, because, you know, your thoughts are your thoughts, and if two people are reading your thoughts at, like every minute of the day, I could get real nasty real quick. Uh, let's see. You also get a little bit of a glimpse into uh, their past lives, their home lives. You find out that they have more going on than meets the eye, be it a uh, troubled home life or, you know, not living up to their parents' ex expectations, a tragic event uh, from the past that has had lasting repercussions. You get the idea. This book is very much about connections, and honestly, it was a really, really quick read in that I, I was entertained throughout. Uh, Chris Wild Goose, I don't know if you've seen uh, his work on, on Batgirl and other books. He's got a really sleek, incredible style that I really, really like. Uh, does a lot to just bring a lot of energy to these kids, even though uh, they spend half the book kind of moping around and trying to keep to themselves. Uh, there's a lot of uh, stuff to be conveyed, like even in their posture and the way that they, the looks on their faces when they're talking to one each other, uh, each other telepathically. Sorry, I'm tripping over my own words. Uh, I enjoyed it. I, I'm curious to see what the next issue brings uh it's not necessarily something that blew me out of the water but i i've really been enjoying the uh the size spurrier lately sarah has made it abundantly clear that he is a creator that i need to be paying attention to and i'm excited to see where this goes uh other than that i said that i wasn't going to pick up new mutants and i wasn't going to pick up fallen angels i still haven't picked up fallen angels yet but i did pick up all the issues of New Mutants because there was a sale. 
and they were a dollar a piece. So I said, why not? Sure. Well, I just assume that because of one issue that I'm not going to like it. It's Hickman. It The artwork, first of all, written by Jonathan Hickman and Ed Brisson, uh, again, of sheltered fame. Uh, art by Rod Reese, Flaviano, and Marco Fela. Colors by Carlos Lopez and letters by VCs Travis Lanham. So this is kind of a it's it's pretty much the X story that is outside of Krakoa for the most part. It's pretty much three different storylines between what you know as the New Mutants proper, meaning magic and company. They're off in space doing some crazy thing, getting arrested and put into a space prison, and then they get rescued by somebody, and now they have to act as a courier for the Death Bird, and somebody's got a crush on the Death, board, uh, on the death Bird, and it's all hilarious. And that part of the book is really cool, and it's a lot of fun, but there's also this home invasion uh, thing. Armor has basically been sitting down with, uh, I believe her name is Sage. She is kind of the oracle of Krakoa. She's working all the machines and the computers and basically like doing the census and making sure that the portals are in working order and, and things like that. Uh, Joey, do you know what her name is? Is it it's, Sage? It's Sage. Okay. Uh, so anyway, Armor says, you know, has everybody who's able to come to Krakoa, have they been here yet? And she's like, well, not everybody. They probably have people that are still tying up some loose ends before they make the trip. And Armor is not really content to wait. Uh, she has a friend that has yet to arrive, and she wants to know what the deal is. So she ends up taking a small team to this house that's in the middle of nowhere where they are trying to live their life and raise their family. And wouldn't you know it, a group of drug lord terrorists show up. And I got to tell you, this book gets harsh. Some people get hurt. And uh, it kind of took me by surprise. I was, you know, everything going on in Krakoa is all like peace, love and happiness. And, you know, there's some deception going on and there's some pieces moving around. But for the most part, it the X-Men stuff has been them living in this utopia. And then you have this book that is very gritty and and very uh there are consequences to to what's going on and that's been kind of my favorite aspect of of this book so far is this home invasion and the mutants fighting back and and losing some people in the process it's a very emotional portion of the story for characters that i don't know from a hole in the wall I've never met these people before, and they've the team has managed to make me care about all of them. And it's it's been a really devastating read so far, and I, I'm kind of glad that I went back to it to go and check it out. Uh, and not to mention, the Rod Reese artwork is just absolutely mesmerizing. Very cosmic, very kind of a more subtle Mike Del Mundo, if you will, in some regards. Maybe a bit of, um oh God, who did... Uh, not low, the other one, Black Science. Is that Tocino? Something like that. Anyway, Rod Reese, look him up. Uh, and of course, Flaviano from um, Sasuke Sisters, Black Widow, and Marco Fela. Just a nice variety of, of ex-artists that really 
capture the three different uh, narrative strands that are going on within this New Mutants book. It is definitely the X book among the group that I think is covering the most ground. And uh, it's kind of cool that that stuff is most of it is taking place outside of Krakoa. We've we've kind of been in Krakoa for the last couple months. And uh, it was cool to see an X story that is, you know, in space and in uh, in the middle of nowhere and all that stuff. So if you're missing that style of X story while reading all of this new stuff, uh, New Mutants might be your jam. And that's what I have to say about that. Any questions? I read and really enjoyed Alienated. Okay. Talk to me about it. It's, it struck me that, well, again, because of Sarah, we've been reading a lot more Cy Spurrier of late, though we always did check in with him now and again. His ability to write varied characters, giving mm-hmm. each their own voice and place in, in a world as he builds it, it really sold that on me. You had these three three kids named Sam, amazingly enough. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And they seemed like real teenagers. Mm-hmm. All different, all their own person. And as you say, once they're in their own heads and they're walking back to the woods because they want to get disconnected from what's going on here, each of their, their little thoughts in their own separate little colors, jerk, jerk, jerk. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's just really, really winning stuff. And I think it would be even without the science or super science that's going on with it. They're real people that you care about. And mm-hmm. that, that says something that we've only met them for six or seven pages. Right. And they stand out. So I'm in because we got a cliffhanger. we got a crazy cliffhanger going. Yeah, we do. So and, I, uh, you go, go ahead. ahead. No, go, go, go. I was just going to say, there's the one thing that, that, Seisberger does uh, and does immediately is that he really allows you to kind of walk around inside the characters yeah. uh, in his stories, very, very much so in this. But you have this one splash page where I kind of alluded to getting to know the characters' home lives, and it's this like three-way swirling collage yeah. of who they are outside of their school lives and it's not an info dump. It is a very artful presentation of who these people are before we came into the story. And on that one page, you get such a good sense of who they are and what they have going on and specifically why they might be the way that they are. And uh, it just it, it's amazing. It always blows my mind when, you know, artists and writers can come together to present a page like that and give you so many ins and outs and depth to, to character in one shot and not have it feel like they're beating you over the head with who these people are. It was very, very well done. Agreed. Looking forward yeah. to a second issue. Absolutely. Absolutely. OK. Carolyn. Yeah. Um, hey, she's back. <laughs> and uh, we are ready for your lightning round. We have not done a single bolt of lightning this entire show. Joey, oh, what is... Uh... There you go. Thank you. <laughs> just wasn't the same. Did that, nobody else felt dirty about that? I didn't feel <laughs> I dirty, necessarily. That's a little... I did. 
All right, Carolyn, you ready? <laughs> she missed me. <laughs> all right, you have five minutes on the clock, but take all the time you need and go. Okay. Um, all right. So I was inspired by Bob's um, comprehensive history of the birds of prey last week. <laughs> so I'm going to try to do something similar for Cassandra Kane. Because I think she's on people's minds and there seem to be a bunch of articles out there where people are want maybe want to know more about her. <clears throat> so basically she's the third Batgirl. Some people would call her the fourth Batgirl. We can talk about that later. But she's the first woman of color Batgirl, the first Batgirl with disabilities, the first person of color in the Batcave, and the first Batgirl to star in her own series. She's young, she's Eurasian, she's disabled, she's kind, principled, and usually uh, non-sexualized and always uh, kick-ass. Um, so she's just, a, she's just a really great character. So if you want to read what I would say are the best two issues of Cassandra Cain ever, it's her origin. And this is in um, the Batman No Man's Land series, which is from 1999, and it was collected in, I think, four trade paperbacks, a handful of trade paperbacks. But her origin story is basically two issues. It's called The Mark of Cain, and Mark of Cain Part 1 and 2, Batman 567 and Detective 734 um, by Kelly Puckett and Damian Scott and some assistance, I guess, from Jordan Gorfinkel, who was the editor. So I, I don't want to spoil too much of it because it's just there's such they're just it's just a perfect origin story and it's very tight. But it, it basically she's brought up to be an assassin because her parents are assassins, David Kane and Lady Shiva. And Kane raised her not to read, write or talk, but to use those parts of her brain to, quote unquote, read people's body language so she could be a more effective assassin and be able to figure out what they were going to do and then defeat them. So when she's eight, she runs away from this life for super dramatic reasons. And she goes to Gotham. She makes her way to Gotham. It takes her a bunch of years. So she's an older teenager and she meets Barbara Gordon and she basically is doing errands for her and like kind of becomes her ward. And this makes total sense because in Greek myths, Cassandra was an oracle. She's the one who can see things that others don't see and people don't believe her. Um, anyway, so um she proves herself, you know, not only physically with her great skills, but also her heart. And Batman comes to trust her pretty quickly, too, due, due to some other super dramatic things, I won't say, but they involve um, James Gordon. And so they give her this totally black Batgirl costume and she tucks her hair into it and she sews the mouth shut with these big stitches. And that kind of conveys her stealth. And the sewn mouth also, you could say, conveys her difficulties in using speech because she, again, was raised not to read, write or talk. So that's what she has to work on. So anyway, that is in Batman No Man's Land. Um, her series started in 2000, was called Batgirl, also first written by Kelly Puckett and Damian Scott. There were 73 issues of this. All of it is collected. A ton of stuff happens in this series, but basically, and she's working on her speech and her reading. So she's not like only saying one word here and there for this whole series. It's not like that at all. Um, so Barbara is in it. She becomes friends with Stephanie Brown. Um, Batman says that basically she could defeat him. She's like the greatest fighter in the world. She's right 
an integral part of the Bat family. Um, some of the collected stories that she's in are Bruce Wayne Murderer, Bruce Wayne Fugitive, Batman War Games, which has some problems, but whatever. And then um, toward the end of this run, in this one year later storyline, she was sort of editorially mandated to be written as a villain, and she becomes the head of the League of Assassins. And basically, it's terrible. And it's all meant to build up the character of Tim Drake. And so th- there are multiple problems with it. A lot of people really we're not happy with it, but making her a villain in this way really kind of puts her into this stereotype of Asian female characters as being like the untrustworthy dragon lady. And you could also say, and some people have said that there are other stereotypes in her character because she's this Asian female character who's an expert martial artist and she's very quiet. And that kind of plays into sort of Asian female submissive stereotypes. But really, you know, these were her starting places, but she's just so much more because she... All right, let me just say a little bit about, very quickly, other stuff she was in. She's also in Batman and the Outsiders. She gets replaced by Stephanie Brown as Batgirl. And I love Stephanie Brown, but it was really BS the way they just replaced one with the other. So you're losing this you know, disabled woman of color who's Batgirl and replacing her with like this Buffy Batgirl, who again, I love, still BS. She's in Gates of Gotham. And then she becomes Black Bat and then Orphan. And she's in Batman and Robin Eternal. And she's in Detective quite a bit from 2016. But after the new 52, you know, she goes away for a while. So these latter things, like she's just not the same person in them. Like Barbara Gordon isn't the same person anymore either because her character development's gone and her really being an integral part of the Bat family is gone with Bruce as her father figure and Barbara's or mother figure, it's gone. And, and the Cassandra in the movie is about as far from the character as you could get. That doesn't mean it's bad. It just means that it's different. But I think that um, what you really want to know about Cassandra and what you'll find in most of these stories and in the Shadow of the Batgirl graphic novel that we're going to talk about in a minute is that the, the real core of Cassandra is that this is a girl who was raised to be a villain, but she chooses. She chooses to be a hero, and she works hard to be a hero, and she has to learn to trust people and to trust herself. Um, and just she's just such a, a strong, awesome, original kind of character. I can't say enough good about her. So look into some Cassandra Kane stories if you haven't. Indeed. Absolutely. I went I went over. Was, sorry. That was, oh, no, no. That was awesome. That's what I wanted. I <laughs> yeah. love Cassandra Kane and I'm with you on the 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 separation between the comics character who is as you've expertly laid out is so awesome for so many reasons. Also personally for me so many reasons as well. Um so different from what they show in the film. Now, there is that kind of throwaway line that she has foster parents, so maybe she does have this secret history that even she is unaware of, although I doubt that that would ever even potentially... That would take a lot of narrative shoehorning. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, that was... And, and we talked about it last week, and we talked about it when the first trailer came out, too, that that, that really was one of the once you swallowed that pill you know like <laughs> you the the for me the movie was was killer um but i the his, her initial run and that that initial characterization is so cool and then i was i was actually we were talking about Tynan's detective stuff before and i remember talking about that too and being a little bummed at how literally 
quiet Cassandra Cain was like in mm-hmm. those issues. And she was kind of boiled down into this like, oh, well, she's the bat girl that doesn't speak kind of thing, you know. Um, and Too it much just, shorthand. Absolutely. Yeah. And it just felt it just didn't feel authentic to all of that legwork that was done over those extended series prior. Um, such a cool character with such a rich history. And uh, and I was well, we'll talk about Harley Quinn and Birds of Prey in a little bit, but uh, not the film, the comic, which is not a one shot. It's actually a series, I guess. I don't know. Yeah. Um, and I was worried that we were going to get exclusively movie Cassandra in that comic. And we didn't. So, OK, great. Maybe DC's not going to do a complete switcheroo um, like Marvel does with their movie movie comics versus um, but yeah, no, th- I, I was taking notes because I want to read, I want to catch up on all that stuff. Did, did yeah, I mean, it's, it's a lot. It's, it's 20 years really. Um, but it's really the first several that are the best. <laughs> yeah. You know, like 1999 to 2000, I don't know, six or something like that. That's a shame. They keep needing to reinvent themselves and sometimes they were better off leaving it as it was Cassandra is such as you say such a deep character and to be replaced so I'm sure it was planned but it does seem haphazardly it's oh we need to do this so we'll just it doesn't matter what we did before no keep to what you did all those years ago the other characters can live and breathe and be there and not pushed aside well, it's kind of like the the whole thing about making her a villain and the head of the League of Assassins. Yeah. It was so Tim Drake could be super heroic. Well, first, you know, be conflicted and then super heroic. And it's yeah. just sort of like, you know, Wonder Woman has to snap a guy's neck so we can find out how <laughs> Batman and Superman feel about it. And if she snaps his neck in that movie, I am flipping tables. But anyway. I'm with you. I'll be there. Um, you'll, he- you'll hear it all the way up in New Paltz. <laughs> But no, I, you, I, they have to understand that they do all this character development. People work very hard to develop these characters and then to use them as pawns for other characters just is um, troubling. Yeah, particularly male characters often. Well, yes. Uh, yes. The book that shall not be named when we even go there. <laughs> oh, well, don't count your chickens, Bob. Oh, I might have to name that book okay. in about two minutes. Yeah, yeah, we will actually probably. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, okay. But in the in the introduction to the graphic novel, I'm not going to summarize the graphic novel right now. I just want to say that this book just totally had me at the author's introduction because she she says you know she she loved um, superheroes and she grew up an Asian American geek girl mm-hmm. and she says. Cassandra Kane was one of the first Asian girl heroes I saw who actually got to be the hero. She wasn't a sidekick. She wasn't cannon fodder. She wasn't there to teach anyone a very important lesson about racism. She was freaking Batgirl, and she was biracial like me. Yeah. And I fell in love with yeah. Cassandra Kane, and she helped me see that a superhero could look like me. It's like, okay. Totally. You, know. <laughs> you got me. Totally. I'm in. Mm-hmm. Uh, should we talk about that book now? Hell yes, we should. Shadow of the Batgirl. <laughs> All right. Shadow of the Batgirl, original graphic novel from DC, written by Sarah, is it uh, Kun? Sarah, K-U-H-N? I'm not sure. Sarah Kun. Sarah Kun. 
Sarah, Sarah Kuhn and art by Nicole Go. Goo? Goo? It's probably Goo. I'm so sorry. Oh. <laughs> I apologize. Uh, I am the worst with names. Shadow of the Batgirl. Here's my little my little synopsis for you. Shadow of the Batgirl is a YA original graphic novel that finds Cassandra Kane, teenage assassin, wrestling with de- with the demons of her past while trying to live a better life. One day, whilst dispatching a gathering of goons, Cassandra's final victim uses his last fleeting gaps, gasps to gurgle the word daughter before he passes out. For a number of reasons yet to be revealed. Revealed, this word holds a special place in Cassandra's psyche, and hearing it aloud uh, has led her to rethinking the killing she does in her father's name. In needing uh, some time to think and somewhere to sleep that isn't the gutters of Gotham, Cassandra takes refuge in the Gotham Public Library, where a post the book that shall not be named, Barbara Gordon, <laughs> teaches a group of teens about the values of herodom, and more specifically about the adventures of Batgirl. As you could probably guess, Cassandra and Barbara eventually come together as teacher and student, one looking to move on from the capes and cowls business, and one desperately wanting to be worthy of taking on the name, pause for emphasis, Batgirl. Ba-ba-bum. Bob, help me out here. Who is the artist from The Adventures of Tintin? Uh, Hervé. It is. That's, is that how you pronounce it? It's H E. R mm-hmm. uh, E with an accent aigu. Hervé. Hervé. With a G accent, at the accent, end? Hervé. Accent grave on the final. Hervé. Okay, so, <laughs> so Nicole's art reminds me of that person we just tried to name several times. And Faith Aaron Hicks, kind of a, a mishmash Ooh. of the two. Uh, so for me, one of the prevailing themes of this book is that, and they say this in the book, is that it's okay to not be okay. And I love that line in particularly because my own wife, Bronwyn, has said that to me on several occasions, particularly in the moments where I was uh, harsh on myself. Everybody's their own worst critic, and uh, she is always there to build me back up, which is lovely. And so it's okay to not be okay. Cassandra is writing an emotional role coaster throughout this book. She's trying to suppress her urge to kill. She's trying to learn how to read, write, speak. She's trying to make human, excuse me, connections. She's discovering new concepts of family. It's a lot for a teenage assassin to cope with. Shadow of the Batgirl is, for me, very much a book about learning to make your own decisions and about carving your own path. Uh, Another theme that's touched upon in this book, which is something that I've encountered in a number of YA graphic novels, particularly over the past year, is the idea that you don't have to be your parent. That was very evident in in a couple of books that we talked about during our uh, Best of of the Year awards, and uh, particularly when I talked about the Cardboard Kingdom, and just, again, carving your own path learning from the mistakes of your elders and and trying to be better people. Uh, I also want to give out uh, give a shout out to the character Jackie. She is a scandalous old bird who is often playfully inappropriate and I am totally here for it. Uh, she gives me the impression that she's seen she's seen some things and some stuff. 
And I really, really appreciate that. And I don't want to undersell before I pass the torch to somebody else. This book uh, is has a lot of heart, but it also has plenty of action. So for people looking for a bit of the action business, that is here too. And that particularly is when Nicole's artwork truly shines for me is in the motion and in those crazy uh, big fight scenes. Cassandra takes on whole gangs of people almost well almost single-handedly in some some cases and it is just glorious i have not read a lot of cassandra kane i was making some notes while carolyn was giving her history so i'm going to dig into some of that stuff uh, i hope to to do that real soon but yeah this was this was crazy it was kung fu fighting it was barbara fighting from her wheelchair and just like dashing in front of people smacking them with the side of the wheels it was awesome and yeah, I really enjoyed it. We've been waiting for a while for this to come out. And uh, I'm happy to say that I really, really liked it. Uh, Carolyn, why don't you pick it up? Oh, well, you you did such a good summary. I don't know. Um, I think I, I particularly liked that, um, you know, just as her first appearance is 20 years ago, that Barbara is such an important part of her development and sort of helping her and try to start to get over the the guilt that she feels um, and to encourage her that she can be, she can make her own choices and be a different kind of person from what her parents wanted her to be. Um, I also really liked Jackie. She's great. <laughs> um, I felt like there could I also liked that Barbara was set in, you know, a library, right? So you see her skills with information sciences and, mm-hmm. um, you know, that there it was there was no big, long mention of the book that shall not be named. It was just she just said, I had an accident. You know, that's really mm-hmm. all you need to know. Um, and I wasn't sure how I would feel at first about the friend slash boyfriend, But I thought that it was a good addition to sort of say we all have our own journeys to figuring out who we are and it doesn't necessarily conform with what our parents want us to be. Mm -hmm. And so he's sort of on that journey, too. And so I thought that was good because there could be people who feel like, well, it's not that easy for me to relate to being a teenage assassin. (laughs) But maybe maybe you could relate to Eric in the same way and and through that um, see Cassandra. I felt like there, I I also very much like the art um, Mm -hmm. and the colors and how it sort of managed to be cute, but have scary parts, but be poignant, but be empowering and like all these different things um, all in one bunch. And I mean, there could easily be a sequel to this oh, yeah. like it could be her and jackie and barbara and maybe lady shiva shows up i don't know i think that would be cool but yeah i thought it was great mm. right on joey how about you same i i really really enjoyed it um i was surprised about the ya thing because there were some moments in here where i was like there's some language that is thrown <laughs> around um but no i really enjoyed it i thought it was a very accessible way into a version of Cassandra Kane that is appealing, accessible, tells very much the same story. Um, the, the one thing that I do wish was a little bit clearer or perhaps framed a little differently was the, the learning of the language and the learning to read. Mm-hmm. Um, I knew that that was, that that was what was going on, but the, I don't know, just the way that it was framed could have been clear, perhaps for people that aren't familiar with Cassandra Cain's story or familiar with the kind of um, 
the 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 ideas of language learning and language acquisition um mm -hmm. so that that was just the one thing that was unclear for me everything else i really loved and i really adored um barbara gordon in here yes yes and we were talking a little bit off air but it really made me pine for Barbara Gordon Oracle again. Oh, um, don't break my heart, Joey. And, don't break and my heart. we mentioned it a little bit last week when we were talking about Birds of Prey 2. Uh, but, you know, Barbara went through a lot. <laughs> and uh, and it, 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 once that Oracle happened in her character's arc, that, that new life that was breathed into that and the way that that character became a kind of um, um, pillar for a lot of different, uh, a lot of different perspectives and a lot of different ideas in comic books, um, was was very significant. And and Shadow of the Batgirl embraces that in so many ways. Uh, when when she's sitting there, you mentioned you know with her library group, and she's like, today we're going to talk about heroism, and then she busts out these like sketches of Batgirl herself as Batgirl. Aww. I just like, I was like, that is an incredibly emotional beat. Uh, yeah. So it's not just that like Barbara rolls in as this like you know perfect mentor for Cassandra Kane. She's also dealing with the fallout from all of that and the book that should not be named and and all of that stuff like. And part of helping Cassandra along her journey helps Barbara realize kind of where she, her interests lie and what she loves. And then there's these like crazy, not crazy, these like wonderful beats where she talks about her mother. And I'm like, I was not expecting any of this in this Cassandra Kane book. And I loved it. It all worked perfectly together. So it's not like any of these characters just roll in 100% perfect um mentor and cassandra kane is just struggling 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 all of these characters have very clear arcs in here um it is an incredibly heroic book it is an incredibly positive book the art is wonderful uh i mm -hmm. knew from the cover and opening it up and i'm reading that intro carolyn that you quoted before um i knew i i knew it's what i wanted i knew it's what i i wanted and needed because i i share those thoughts i share those ideas of like i got jubilee i got <laughs> you know i got shang chi i got jimmy Woo. like I, I can count them on one hand you know and uh when they come up when they come along you grab them and um and cassandra kane was one of those that like there it is and She's kind of fallen away over the last couple of years, and I was so happy that Shadow of the Batgirl was announced and that Cassandra Kane would be there because I wanted it. Like, I, I didn't realize how desperately I wanted it until I started reading it. Um, and I loved it. I really did. Uh, I I do wonder about this this Barbara Gordon Oracle graphic novel that they're putting out as well mm -hmm. um, yeah, I, I, I read the yeah. i read the the preview pages and i was like this isn't how it happens um but uh but uh -oh. yeah this this doesn't seem right to me um but regardless i just find it interesting that we're getting these stories that are oracle focused you know and it's just it just reminds me about how wonderful the Oracle iteration of that character is. Um, and I wonder I wonder what the well, I wonder what the impetus is for giving us all of these Oracle stories. 
Um, not that I'm complaining because I like them, but yeah. yeah. Well, supposedly they're developing a Batgirl movie. Mm-hmm. But I mean, the the problem is that you've the, the way that this Oracle Code book looks is she looks like a teenager. Right. Exactly. I mean, in these preview pages, and it's like oh, it looks like Kim Possible. I mean. It, yes, <laughs> although Kim Possible is pretty cool. Yeah, no, one hundred percent. But like, I'm so aesthetic. <laughs> <laughs> um, but the 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 problem is that you know when when Barbara Gordon was introduced in 1967, she was already a grown ass woman mm-hmm, mm-hmm. with with a PhD, with a career, right? And and she goes from there to be that girl, and from there to become, go on the journey to becoming Oracle. Mm -hmm. So when you're trying to merge this new 52 idea that you have to make her 21, but looking 19, that Oracle can't be the same Oracle as the woman who got the PhD and got the law degree and was a Congresswoman, a Congresswoman for eight years while also being that girl. You know, you just, you can't, I understand and, you know, Gail Simone has said this right on her Twitter that there are some people at D.C. who feel like maybe their lady superheroes are less threatening if um, it, if you make them smaller and thinner and younger. Yeah. And, you know, Barbara Gordon went started out being taller than Dick Grayson and having the body of, you know, a 30 year old woman. And now she's like this little thing. Yeah. And it's just not. The same, that's how she looks in the Oracle book. That's why I'm saying all this. Yeah. Mm. But I'd like to be pleasantly surprised by it. Yeah. The I, artwork is killer. It's so good. Um, yeah, it's real good. Now, in the in the Pennyworth RIP, the Barbara Gordon sequence is great. You know, she talks about... Uh, she talks about Alfred, like, surprising her with a climb up a mountain basically um and this 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 commentary about you know i didn't know if i could still do it because of you know the physical therapy or whatever had happened after um the oracle sequence because i'm i'm still unclear as to how they framed her recovery because all the oracle stuff is still like i i just i I, i'm not i haven't i didn't read it so I don't know. Like, do you, did you, Bob or Carolyn? How what, did well, the, what, in the new Fifty Two? Yeah. How did she? How did she become Batgirl again? Uh, was it just like experimental experimental operations? She still had the disability, but was restored to mobility. Am I getting this reasonably right, Carolyn? Yeah, I think she was supposed to have been Batgirl for in the neighborhood of three years. Mm-hmm. Is that and then? Um, she has the accident and um yeah you know experimental surgery in africa where she has an implant put in her or something like that Mm. and and you don't really there isn't a whole lot of becoming oracle it's more like she's batgirl and there are a couple flashbacks to little flashbacks to sitting behind a computer screen (laughs) yeah a panel or two here and there yeah that's about it Mm. And because if you don't have, I mean, the the core of Oracle. Okay, so I'm just going to add to my read Batman 567 and Detective 734 and Batgirl 1 to 73 for Cassandra Kane for 
a really great Barbara Gordon, you want to read Birds of Prey, number one to number 108. Yeah, I said it. Just read them. It's worth it. (laughs) They're sitting on my coffee table as we we speak, Carolyn. Um, So, yeah, I mean, Oracle, the the thing is about Oracle is that even before that Birds of Prey series starts, she's making all these appearances in other books. Um, You know, Batman, Azrael, Suicide Squad, like you name, Hawk and Dove, you name it, she was in it in the 90s as Oracle. And so it's this very slow recovery process and integrating her into the DCU until she becomes indispensable to basically every superhero. And that's when she starts to run the Birds of Prey. Yeah. So it's a really long, slow development, you know, like life. Um, and so they really just haven't done it at all in the new 52. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I like Shadow of the Batgirl because it kind of honored that in a, in a really yeah, interesting yeah. way. Um, but didn't feel as, you know, shoehorned or dismissive as some of these other beats and some of these other stories that we get today. I think it cost me more money. I'm sold. I got to have this. Yeah, one. speaking of costing money, I've been listening to you guys, but also buying comics at the same time. <laughs> Joey's already cost me upward of $17 this podcast. Yep, that's how I do. I, I, I've said this a lot on the show. I love Batgirl. Don't get me wrong. Oracle is a an amazing character that people should be on board with a lot more. Mm. You mention her to people, and it's like, who, what, yeah, well, you got to go through the whole story. And on those people you explain it to, I'm sure you have the same thing, Carolyn. For, for, the, for the folks who get it, their eyes light up. It's like, there's that kind of character? Yes, there's that kind of character, and you should be reading her. And there are really only a few characters that have that rich and complicated of a story arc over decades that mm-hmm. like I said before there's such a dramatic shift in who that character is and what they represent yes. um, and mm-hmm. and in, a, in an incredibly positive way and really an incredibly positive way that is the result of an incredibly negative thing um, uh, and, and one that kind of turns that around in such a, 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 um, an empowering way is, is there's very few other characters that have that kind of, um, story behind them. And it's unfortunate that there's kind of an end, there's kind of an end date to that. <laughs> um, and they've kind of backtracked a little bit, but yeah. Well, maybe generation five will change that. Gen 5G? <laughs> No, no, they've changed it now. It's Generation 5 because they don't want to be associated with apparently 5G technology. (laughs) (laughs) I think they have books coming out. They start, I think, in April at Generation 1, which will show you Wonder Woman as the first hero and then start to move up through, let's hope. Fingers crossed. Cassandra Kane. Up through Naomi, probably, actually. Yeah. You know what? Read the Stephanie Brown series, too. (laughs) So. Well, that's on my list as well. Uh, I, think yeah. that, I think that's three trades. Uh, Batgirl by Brian Q. Miller. Yeah. Great series. And um, Barbara Gordon is heavily featured in that as well. You know, in kind of a mentoring role like she does with Cassandra um, earlier. Yeah. Not to feed you this transition, Steve, but I think that there's a world, too, where you can say Harley Quinn's transformation as a character from kind of uh, servant sidekick 
maniacal villain to stand on their own comedy bit, I think is an interesting trans- transition as a character too. Ah, speaking of transitions, why don't we transition this conversation over to Harley Quinn and the Birds of Prey number one? The movie or the... The comic um, book. Because they redubbed the film. I know. We'll, <laughs> talk about, we'll talk about the film after we talk about this book. Because we got to talk about this book. Bob, would you oh, mind? Sure. I'm glad I wrote something. <laughs> okay. Harley Quinn and the Birds of Prey. It's number one of three in a DC Black Label book. Written by Amanda Connor and Jimmy Palmiotti, with Amanda Connor on art, Paul Mounts on colors, John J. Hill on letters. DC has allowed Amanda Connor, Jimmy Palmiotti, and Paul Mounts to return to not only the character of Harley Quinn, but in this miniseries to return Harleen Quinzel to basically the point in time where they left her when they exited the book some years back. The movie took up many of the attributes of their run, and although there are differences, to me, this was a nice blend of the two properties. As to particulars, after a contretemps with Poison Ivy, Harley heads back to her Coney Island home base, where, well, much has changed. The loan sharks who hold the mortgage on her hotel home have torched the place, roughing up her pal Big Tony in the process. After settling some local scores, Harley is headed back to Gotham City to, how do we say this, release some funds? That will help her pay off the debt, which will, of course, bring her to the attention of her ex. First chapter is mostly Harley-centric, as the Connor Palmiotti team bring readers back up to speed on their take on Ms. Quinn. But with the third act having some nicely played moments with the Huntress and a final page welcome to Gotham with some other characters, I think the next issue will be definitely centered on a more group dynamic. Yeah. One quick last word as a black label title. This is a rather adult book. So despite the playful nature of Miss Connor's art, this one is not for younger readers. That said, though, it is that very aspect of Miss Connor's art that helps to lift what she does beyond others toiling in this same field of her. So just beware. I got a huge kick out of this. I don't know where everyone else is, but I enjoyed the heck out of this one. Have you ever seen the uh, X-rated unreleased episodes of Run and Stimpy? No. Okay. Definitely the first couple of pages of this comic book reminded me of those in a big way. I would like to say that for all for all this book, uh, there were times where I went red in the face with some of the artwork. <laughs> there is some ingenious design going on here particularly in the coverings for the ladies in terms of of their bits and the crab on on harley's butt in the back there's uh another crab in the front the starfish over her chest (laughs) i just i it amused me i thought it was funny uh not to mention uh what's his name tool Red Tool. Red Tool. Yes. Red Tool's outfit, which is <laughs> equally as as uh, ludicrous as the other two, with the well, sheer sequence. I know, <laughs> I know, but like the shears covering. His, I got to tell you, I laughed more at the first two pages of this comic 
than I've laughed at a comic book in a while. I was dying, particularly during the moment when Superman is talking about his X-ray vision and how it's unfortunate. Like, I admit, it's quite uncomfortable when I'm around the Justice League. And there was this time when I fought Doomsday. He was at an uncomfortable angle. And, well, he definitely got the upper hand. I just died. (laughs) Just, like, the look of defeat on his face as he's thinking back to this horrible moment in his history. I was cracking up. Bronwyn was trying to sleep, and I'm just cackling. And don't forget to mention he's delivering jello shots to... Boy, oh yeah, and Harley while he's saying all this. I oh, it's it's a it's a great it's a great sequence. It's very cheeky, but it's a it's a fun funny sequence. And uh, I want to let somebody else talk, but just real quick, I gotta ask a question because I've been away from the Harley stuff for quite some time. What is this gigantic egg? This like oh, mechanical this... egg sitting chilling out on the roof of her building? What it's is happening? Take, it's a take on the old Wonder Woman character egg foo. It's a giant egg. Just a giant <laughs> Just egg. Go with it. Got, Do you know how she came into the story? Yeah, he was in. He was in the Connor Palmiotti run. He's, I didn't he's read a pal. all of that. He's a pal. It's a he. Yeah, it's I okay. believe. Yeah. I don't know how he identifies, Whatever. but I believe he's a he. Okay, it's a, it's a they. Okay, it's a they. Okay, we're going. Good to me. It's an egg. It's an egg. Yeah. <laughs> it isn't uh, anything yet. It's an egg. Right. Yeah, for for me, I I thought this was a lot of fun. I was excited to see that it's going to be more than one issue because I definitely wanted more of this. And when I got to the end, I was pleasantly surprised. And I'm I'm definitely up for for the next one. Uh, Who else wants to give their opinion on this one? Carolyn? Um, yeah, I will. I, I thought it was super fun, too. Um, I enjoyed the beginning like that you're talking about um, with Pooper Man yeah. <laughs> and, um, and uh, Tool. Um, and then I also liked when Power Girl shows up and yeah. Harley is like, could you crush coal to make some diamonds for me? I need some money. <laughs> <laughs> and Power Girl's like, no. And Harley's like, okay, well, can we shower together then, maybe? <laughs> I mean, it's just, how could you not, how can you not love it? It's just so ridiculous. And yeah, um, you know, it's sort of, it is definitely equal opportunity curviness. Um, but what's funny is that you can, the way that, that um, Amanda Connor draws Power Girl is like, yeah, she's got a huge chest, but it's not like she's in this weird, crazy pose or whatever. Yeah. She's just like sitting there talking and it's like, okay, this one's got a huge chest and this one doesn't. Not No big deal. Mm-hmm. And Harley is pointing out, uh, she says something like, why don't you make that hole bigger, you know, guess. for the kids. <laughs> 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 but it's just like the whole, the whole thing just works. Um, I, I would say I was expecting a little more Birds of Prey. Um, it was more like, Harley Quinn and the Birds of Prey show up on the last few pages, number one. Um, But, I know, I guess that was okay if this is more um, a Harley story and they're just kind of going to come along for the ride. Mm -hmm. I love the Sir Poops-a-Lot kitty litter that (laughs) Power Girl has and the hangry tiger cat food. Classic. Did you also also notice you, you get a couple of nice glimpses of the Scatapult? Yes, that the egg yeah. is hanging out on. Yeah, yeah. Sleeping yeah. on, as a matter of fact. 
Well, they're not using they, it quite yet, but they well, will. I I'm just sure. hope that they washed it before. You know. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, uh, also, Joey. Oh, sorry. Oh, oh no, no. Go ahead, Carol. I'm no, sorry. I was just going to say one other thing, but you're right. Joey hasn't said anything yet. No, I, I liked it. It was fun. I'm not, I don't like, it's the same thing with like Deadpool stuff. It's not my shtick. Um, I, I picked it up because I was like, I want more Birds of Prey too, Carolyn. Um, and I was like, oh, maybe it'll, it'll, we'll get some more of that once everything gets to, to Gotham as it were in the next issue. But, uh, I know it was fun and it, it looks great. The jokes are funny. That opening sequence, I was like, oh, it's this kind of book. Um, and, and then, and then Huntress is like putting arrows in people's eyeballs. And I was yeah. like, oh, this is like, not like it's a that kind, of book that kind of book. Um, so no, I, I enjoyed it. And I, I was very pleasantly surprised to see that it was more than a single issue, uh, because I do want more of it. So, yeah. I've been enjoying a lot of the black label stuff that they've been putting out so far. I haven't read all of them, but, uh, the majority of them have been very good and they, they, do offer a little bit of that, uh, I guess, racier side of the DC universe, which is is fun to dabble in every now and again. So I think these these stories are coming out at a decent clip that um, you don't have one of them every week, but you know every couple of weeks you get to to dive into one of these little black label stories. Uh, yeah, so. Um, if that's all we have for... No, no, no. I have oh, one, one thing to throw out there, considering okay. what happens here. There's a big hashtag over the last couple of weeks. Look, I'm on, I'm on like the Twittery thing. The Harley Ivy kiss hashtag, where DC has apparently decided to erase Harley and Ivy as a couple. What? Yes, which, which even... Gail has said, wait a minute, when did... I was... I was zero years old when I discovered that Harley and Ivy weren't a couple. <laughs> and people have been uh, sending out texts and twits and tweets or whatever you call them, showing their relationship over all these years, basically. And it seems as if just as Batwoman couldn't get married, Harley and Ivy can't be a couple anymore because they split up. Do. Right. They split up at the end of, a, of an issue that just came out and... Ivy gives her little boop on the forehead, which is not what's going on here. There's a, they have a much different relationship, and that's been, I thought, pretty well established over some years. Yeah, I mean, I can see if you want to go in the direction of them breaking up and you want to take the character a different way, that's one thing. But to try and act like the history isn't uh, there is just dumb, it's all there. We own most you of saw it. it, right? Yes. You know, like I've read it. If that's the way that relationship has existed for at least the past several years, and to try and tell people otherwise or just kind of walk away from that's just stupid. I'm just going to say it. I'm sorry. I agreed, <laughs> but it's, it's go, check out the Harley Ivy Kiss hashtag. You'll see. I will do just that because now I'm curious. Now I want to know. What they're trying to f feed people. I swear to God, it never ends. No. Um, <laughs> but now we made people aware. So go out there and tweet yourself. Go out there and yell at the clouds. Okay. I do it, I do it often. <laughs> yes, me too. Every day. Uh, let's see here. Birds of Prey movie talk. Okay, so Carolyn has not 
given her opinion on the movie just yet, and Joey has gone back to the theater to see it two more times. Ah, oh, God, I love it. Uh, jo- yeah, Joey, why don't you give us your 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 quick little uh, updated uh, review, and then we'll move over to Carolyn to find out what she thought. I just love it. I think it's so. I think it's so. They were just like, we're making it. We're doing it. Margot Robbie, Kathy Young, the whole crew, they were just like, we're doing it. I don't care what you say. This is our show. Blah, ow. Here we go. <laughs> um, and I've told many people to go see it, and they've, they've all come back and said, wow, there was no way in hell I was going to see this before the word of mouth was so positive, which is so sad um the 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 all the all the discussion of the numbers and everything and the blah 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 um it's an 80 million dollar movie that in its second weekend made and exceeded that mark uh so the numbers are the numbers the 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 critical response has been positive the word of mouth has been positive um and i think people who were wary to see it Myself being one of them, right? I think a lot of people were very wary to see it because of, you know, suicides. A lot of exactly a lot of things, um, and I think part of it is it's marketed as, hey, remember Suicide Squad? Um, but this is not that. It's not Suicide Squad. It's its own thing, and it's proud to be its own thing in a lot of ways. It wears that on its sleeve. Unfortunately, I think a, a kind of amalgamation of, of a marketing system that didn't know what to do with it. Um, Mm -hmm. A surprisingly low budget for this kind of movie. Um, And, you know, uh, these kind of false markers of, of success uh, that are keeping it in, um, are keeping the conversation around it very, Mm. uh, not, not what it needs to be. Um, You have to, wonder when it became a case of everyday people now cared about the box office numbers where the uh, journalists and, and outlets and stuff have kind of weaponized the earnings of films. And I know plenty of films that didn't make Jack in the theater that are timeless. Oh, so sure. but it's, an, it's I just it's I don't know easily, where we lost the thread. It's logos, man. Ethos, pathos, logos, rhetoric. Come on, it's like high school English. Anyway, if you take another thread to this, there are people weaponizing these numbers, the anti-social justice warriors, who have d- declared Birds of Prey a bomb. Just you say, Joey, it's a remake oh, yeah. production budget back. Ford versus Ferrari, which you were just talking about, made less in its opening weekend than Birds of Prey on a bigger budget, mm-hmm. and that's judge's success. Right, but because they made Guy a stink about the design. Star. Go ahead, go ahead. No, it's... To, uh, these girls aren't sexy enough, or they're not... Go away. Just go away. Well, I think I think part of it, too, is n- numbers are easy, and that's why Rotten Tomatoes is 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 valued at what it is now, too, because... Those things aren't like they're not. None of that is real. I mean, it's it's all. Um, I, I, both audiences I saw it with, you know, really surprisingly, given the R rating, a wide range of ages in the in the space, 
having a great time with the music and the the jokes and the quips and the the performances it was a really it's a really fun film and a surprising one too that doesn't get into the kind of humdrum grayscale you know punch em ups that a lot of those those DC movies become um but also not to also not to bog down in a continuity like the Marvel films in a lot of ways too. I don't, after watching it, you know, three times, I don't know what the future holds for the birds of prey. I don't know what the future holds for Harley Quinn. Even I know, I know Harley Quinn's going to be in suicide squad, the suicide squad rather. Um, mm-hmm. uh, but I don't know what the future holds for birds of prey. Uh, I don't know what the future holds for if the Batgirl movie is going to lead to a Batgirl and the Birds of Prey movie team up again. I don't know. I'm glad that we have this film now. And I'm glad that, you know, when they set out to make this film and Margot Robbie championed it, um, they held on to as much of that kind of control as they could to to put out a movie that I think a lot of uh, that all parties involved are particularly proud of just judging from kind of the, their interactions and reactions online. So, um, I, I just, it's, I was joking. I don't know how joking I was, but kind of, uh, saying off air that like, this is very much in the top five comic based movies for me. Uh, uh, I'd have to formalize that ranking, but it just stands out as something that I just, was completely enamored with and and I'm still obsessing over uh since seeing it two weeks ago. Right on. Yeah. I agree with so much of that. <laughs> Carolyn, how about you? Yeah, I, I pretty much agree with that too. And I really, really did not want to see this movie. <laughs> I mean I <laughs> not even a little bit. Um because I I remember when Harley first appeared on Batman the Animated Series. And for many, many years after that, she was the physically, verbally abused woman in a very um, harmful relationship. And I, to this day, can't quite figure out why she became so popular because of that. I imagine the tight clothes and the violence had something to do with it, but um, it, it's it, it's still hard for me to to think about the the new Harley. The I've you know we've broken up. I'm gonna try to be my own person, even though it's not easy. Harley, who can be just as zany and violent but is trying to find herself to me as a much more compelling character. And I really wasn't sure what to expect um, with the movie. I also um, do not enjoy violence. <laughs> so like, like the birds of prey comic that we were just talking about, or Harley, Harley Quinn and a couple of birds of prey on the last few pages comic that we were just talking about. Um, yeah. In those last few pages when it's just like bloody violent, stuff. Um, I could have done without that, but that's just my personality. So when you put all that together, it was like, and, and also feeling like, okay, there, there, this movie is going to think it's super feminist just because it has female characters, but really it's just going to be this violent sexualization fest. Okay. So point is I was wrong about all those things and I was happy to be wrong about all those things. And I'm glad my expectations were low going in because I had a really great time with this. I felt like it was strong from top to bottom. 
It was hilarious. It had a theme that carried all the way through. Um, each of the characters had some development, even if in the case of Cassandra Kane, it wasn't what I would have liked. That character had some development as well. Um, I thought everybody in it was terrific. I thought the fight scenes looked amazing. And I thought it was great that they did the long shots where you could really see what was happening instead of, you know, quick edits. You could see that the actresses did a lot of their own stuff. You could see that each person kind of had a different style. And you could see that these might be styles that smaller people, particularly women, might be more prone to use um, as opposed to sort of guy fighting styles that are just um, imposed on women. Um, so I also really liked that more than once you see that Harley <laughs> is actually, she had I mean her social skills and her ability to plan ahead, not so good, but she does still retain her uh PhD trained book smarts, you know, she kind of psychoanalyzes people here and there. And she also um, makes comments that these kind of meta comments, well, I mean, I could go on about the breakfast sandwich forever, because that oh, was freaking terrific. Oh, I made those. I made I those heard, next morning. I heard. I'm with you. And I made a version, you know, when I came home the next morning for that as well. But, <laughs> um, but uh, these meta things about like, you know, nobody cares about us except in relation to our masters or something like that. You know, that's like a meta statement about female characters in the superhero genre. And she also says later, nothing gets a guy's attention like violence, which is kind of a similar, I think, yeah. meta commentary about what's happening here. But anyway, um, I just thought, I mean, and, and Joey, I would agree with you, especially if you're just talking about DC movies. I would argue that this might be the best written one. That doesn't necessarily mean it's my favorite, but it didn't devolve into third act CGI, gray, brown, whatever you want to call it. Mm -hmm. um, and it didn't feel like 20 different people wrote it. It felt like a single continuous story where everybody in the story had a personality and it, it made sense. Um, and it was funny and sad and a little scary. And, you know, so I just, uh, I really can't say enough about it. And I hope that more people see it and that they, this isn't used as an excuse about, oh, you know, women can't open movies or movies starring women uh. don't do as well. And of course, there's all this Twitter crap about it not being sexy enough. Come on, just no, you know, <laughs> please give me a break grow up. Um, and, and also all these observations about, well, you know, all the, the villains are guys. Yeah. They're usually all guys, motherfuckers. You just don't <laughs> notice when the, when the protagonist Whoa. heroes are guys too. No, I'm serious. Every I know you are. I can tell. By the language. <laughs> Sorry. No, please go ahead. But I mean, you know, these, they think they're, they're making these brilliant observations like all the villains are men. Yeah. Usually in these movies, literally almost everyone is a man. Um, but you're just somehow feeling threatened or uncomfortable because women are at the center of the story. I'm sorry, I got nothing for you. So, um, yeah, I thought it was great. <laughs> I, I mean, I, I personally could have done with, with much less violence, but I, you know, I see yeah. that it kind of fits with the characters. Some of the violence was so fun, though. Like, I the don't choreography. think any is fun. Oh, but it's, uh, it's all right. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I I like artful choreography, but I don't need kneecaps going backwards, and you know, 
Yeah, I don't like bone that. crunchy things or bloody At least things. It was a beanbag gun. Oh yeah, beanbag gun's great. Bean I like bean bag, bean bag awesome. confetti, glitter, smoke bomb, set a dude's beard on fire. You know that's good. <laughs> <laughs> and it's I also want to say. <laughs> When she first walked into the police station, or oh, not first, that. I guess, and the yep. sprinklers went off, I was like, here it comes. It's going to be slow-mo, clingy shirt. And then it wasn't. I was like, oh. yes, this is great. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You could tell. There's, there's like, paying attention the second, t- second or third time seeing it, paying attention to, like, you know, the subtleties of the performances, the reactions, things like that, that you kind of miss on the first time through. Like, mm-hmm. Margot Robbie's face when those sprinklers go off, she's like, God damn it. Like she like <laughs> she's just like this again kind of thing, you know. Um and then she kicks some dudes butts and uh it's 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 great. I Yeah, I'm I might see it again. I don't even know. <laughs> Birds of Prey first we'll uh first nominee for uh <laughs> later this year at the Talking Comics Awards 2020. Uh, I would not be surprised if it takes the win. We'll have to we'll have to wait and see how uh, Black Widow and Eternal Woman eighty four. Wait, wait, Eternal. wait, wait! You can't forget New Morbius. Mutants. Morbius <laughs> coming out. New, is uh, is Venom two this year? I doubt it. They posted some think picture is. of 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 uh, what's his face. Wouldn't. Dude, I will see a Venom sequel. I like that movie more than you guys. I know did. you're part of the problem. I am. It's so stupid. I love it. I had a fun time with that movie. Both times. All right. We're going to cruise through some of these emails. By the way, if you want to send us an email, you can do that at uh, podcast at talkingcomicbooks.com, I believe is the email. So I'm not going to read all of these word for word. Uh, we went through, we got a an email from Casey, who's a longtime listener of the show was asking if we could do the uh, timestamps. We are going to do our best to uh, have those for you and the show notes going forward. Uh, so that takes care of that. Thank you, Casey. We've had that request a couple of times. Uh, we are going to make a concentrated effort to do just that. Hope that helps you out. Uh, we have another one here from Dallas. I'm going to read this one. It's long, so b- bear with me, but we'll get there. Currently facing the dilemma I'm sure you have at some point between my desire to save money on comics and have them at my fingertips at all times via Comixology Unlimited and my love for owning and reading from physical books. It's clear to me that my personal preference is to have a physical book, but I've been using my free month's trial on Comixology and the sheer volume of what I've been able to read for free in a month is staggering and the idea of reading things like Tom Taylor's entire all-new Wolverine run for free on Comixology instead of at $70 plus uh, to track down the physical volumes. It's been amazing. I also would much rather support my local comic shop owner, who I have become good friends with, uh, than uh, Amazon with my money, but I'm in college and saving $10 every week on comics could be huge or would be huge. Basically, I just want uh, you to make my decision for me (laughs) Or at least make arguments for why you like the format you do. Okay, so I'm not going to go first because I'm going to launch into a whole thing. So, uh, Bob. Okay, yeah, I knew that was coming. Look, I'm an old timer, and I don't think you can curl up with a Kindle. That said, 
you're still supporting the creators however you buy the book. So if going electronic, going digital, gets you into more books and then more books from that because it'll multiply geometrically and still save you money, go digital and read as many good things as you can. That is solid advice. I like it. Hey, mm-hmm. hey you know. Uh, Carolyn, do you have any thoughts about this email? Uh, library, library, library. <laughs> there you go. Is that a yeah, lot of myself? That's what I do. Yeah, so I agree with Bob in that I prefer physical books, and I agree with Bob that sometimes economically that's just not the way to go. So I would say digital for new things and anything that's even um, a, a little bit older, you know, even six months older, get a trade paperback from the library. Um, I think you said you were in college, Dallas. Mm-hmm. So your school library should be able to, like my school library, literally get you interlibrary loan books from all over the world if you request them. Mm-hmm. Um, most interlibrary loan requests can be made online when you're searching your school's catalog, but you can probably also make them at the front desk as well. I mean, when I wrote my book, I can't even tell you, <laughs> I can't even tell you how many thousands of comics I read through interlibrary loan. Mm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I filled up our entire original graphic novel category this year through my library. Mm-hmm. Interlibrary loan was such a boon. Awesome. How about you, Joey? Uh, well, as we know on the show, I don't have a shop anymore. <laughs> So questions like this really <laughs> rub me the wrong way. No. Uh, um, but even 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 before then, I think uh, as long as you're reading, it doesn't matter. I, I think that's mm-hmm. the first thing I'll say. As long as you're reading and you're not pirating, <laughs> you're fine. Yeah. Um, so library, you go to the shop, you go to Barnes & Noble, Amazon, local bookstore, digital, doesn't matter. Personally, single issues, I read digitally. I also have the Marvel um, Marvel Unlimited app thing, so I get all those single issues there. Single issues I do digitally because I just don't have a shop anymore. If there's a trade I want, if there's a graphic novel I want, I will go to the store, I will go to the library... When I go to, I, I pop in a, you know, Midtown every once in a while, um, Forbidden Planet, uh, uh, there's Midtown Comics in Jersey. There's a couple of places around here that when I pop into the store, what I usually buy um, are, you know, sometimes they have like uh, local comics, things like that, things that you can't get online or things that you can't get on, on the internet, uh, kind of local publishers, um or I buy trades or trades and graphic novels from the comic shop. Um, I know that's not, you know, where a lot of the ordering comes from for the local shops, but at the end of the day, that's what I find to be a system that works for me. Uh, partly because of what Dallas is alluding to. You know, you could just read so much on a weekly mm-hmm. basis, single issues digitally. And to match that in physical copies would be in some cases unsustainable or, or, or impossible. Um, yeah, I found that out. Yeah. You know, and, and then, and then when you leave college and you become successful and you get your first apartment and you have 
long boxes to move. Yep. You will have this intense well of regret in your stomach that uh, you're like, God damn, I could have just had these digitally. Um, so that's that's my advice. Um, I think that this is where it's moving towards. Um, I'm surprised Marvel is publishing the Jessica Jones series single issues uh, because it would make more sense in my head for them to publish them as collected graphic novels or trades uh, after having released them single issue digitally. That just they seems that. They, to no, be... They did that too. Exactly. So, I mean, that yeah. seems to be a log- that seems to be a logical direction for publishing going forward. Um, this kind of uh, single issue subscription released digitally and then you can get them in trades down the line. I think that's going to be where, where the future goes. So... Uh, get on that and get on some of those subscription services. Uh, Marvel Unlimited was a godsend for me. Uh, hunting down single issues or even hunting down some trade paperbacks and Omnibuy was getting challenging and getting expensive. Um, and then Marvel Unlimited has been great. I'm reading. I'm reading Master of Kung Fu. Like what? How? how where would I find that? Uh, the only place I could find that is either in the black and white classics or in the uh, in an omnibus that costs two hundred and fifty dollars. Uh, and here I am reading them single issue on Marvel Marvel Unlimited. So um, if you got it, that that's that's what I would say. Yeah. All right. Uh, I don't know how much more I can add to that. I mean, so much of of what everybody said, the libraries, you know, so long as you're so long as you're reading, you're you're showing support. Uh, of course, it's always good to show support to your local comic book stores uh, when you can. But sometimes, you know, sometimes that's not an option. And especially if you're in college, I would think that space and being conservative with that space is uh, at least some kind of a goal that going digital for your college years might not be the worst way to go. Uh, Maybe collect the things that you really enjoy in a physical format, either when they become available or just keep a list. For yourself, I keep all kinds of lists of things that I want to collect once they're uh, available and like you know nice hardcover or whatever. Uh, I am I was the kind of person who, when we first started this talking comics thing, for the first several years, I had a problem because I was never very much into comics, and then by doing this podcast, fell for them harder than music might be the the one thing that that goes above comics but now that i'm in it i'm in it and for many many years i was getting books left and right i was spending upward of over a hundred dollars almost a week i was getting i had a friend who worked in a shop that i don't know how he worked it but man he just piled on the books every week and quoted us ridiculous prices for them and i was very very lucky for a number of years but now that i'm sitting in our nerd room i am Currently staring at 16 long boxes and then one, two, three, four giant shelves of hardcovers and trades and stuff. And honestly, you can do both. You know, um, don't feel like you have to marry yourself to one format or the other. Um, I do disagree with Bob. I have curled up. Nicely, okay. With it, with a with a Kindle or an iPad, uh, before when we were in Florida a couple of weeks ago, we sat in the lanai, 
and with all the frogs going, you can hear the alligator uh, swishing around in the water. And it was just Bronwyn and I playing Pokemon and reading our comics, and it was absolutely glorious. Uh, but there is something to be said about physical media and having those nicely printed pages and the inks getting off on your fingers and all that stuff. Oh, it's so good. But look, so long as you're supporting, so long as you're not pirating, you're not stealing, you know, you're you're a part of the solution. You're not a part of the problem. Uh, read where you can and when you can. And, you know, if you have to go for a while to look for deals on Comixology like I do to catch up on things, then that's what you do. You know, thankfully, we have this podcast as, as an outlet that I get to at least shovel some of my guilt uh, off on the idea of that. We, you know, we preach the good word every week, but um, just do whatever makes you happy and doesn't put you in the poorhouse. There are some physical subscription services, too. Mm-hmm. That you can find online where you can get some books, depending. You may have to buy ahead, but if there's something you really have enjoyed and can can see ahead far enough that you'll continue to enjoy, you might be able to buy a year's worth of subscription for as little as a dollar an issue. Mm-hmm. Again, that is the, you have to buy physical, and the cost of a lot of those would be eaten up by doing an unlimited or DC or Marvel in that case. Mm-hmm. But there are, just you say, as everyone has said, there are so many options, and as long as the real creator and real publishers are all being supported, there'll be more books to be had. Yeah. So don't feel guilty. Whatever you do, read more comics. Like super quick, and then we'll we'll move on from this. What I do is I collect digitally and then I buy and trade or hardcover at the shops. And if you really want to help out your local comic book store and you you want to feel like you're making a difference for their business, select a couple of books that you're really enjoying, a couple of series, and get yourself a number in in their store and have a a pull list for them. It doesn't have to be huge. It could be something like four or five titles. Just some kind of a dedicated pull that when you do go into those shops, you do pick up your books uh, and, you know, you help them out and you get to kind of dabble a little bit, a little bit in both. You have your your digital and your physical and uh, create a nice little balancing act. That way it works out quite well for me. I'm with you, Steve. I have pull lists in two different stores each week Mm -hmm. and two other local stores that also get my business on the other oddball things that I need to find. So between Long Island Comics and Androids and Escape Pod and Fourth World, I'm covered. Radio. Okay, uh, I think that covers that. Uh, lastly, we had another email uh, from Dallas, and I don't know how much we have for you for this one. I apologize, but basically, they wanted to know if we're aware of any good uh, Two-Face Harvey Dent stories. And uh, so the two that I was going to point out, aside, um, you listed the long Halloween here and uh, the new Harleen book, which has some good Harvey stuff in it. Uh, I believe Dark Victory also has some really great uh, Two-Face. And I will recommend until I'm blue in the face to everyone, not just for Harvey Dent and Two-Face, but he is featured in issues six through ten of Gotham Central. And that story is Half a Life, and that is a a Two-Face heavy arc 
of that book. That series is fan friggin tastic Buy the whole thing. But, you know, come for the two face. Uh, does anybody else? <laughs> I, go I ahead. just want to add that the half a life story is an Eisner award winning story arc by uh, Greg Rucka and Michael Lark. There you go. Very nice. Did I steal your recommendations? Uh, I had two. That was one. And the other one, I mean, that's my only comic recommendation because it's just an excellent, excellent story that everybody should read. It is collected in a trade paperback, but you could read the single issues as well. My cartoon recommendation from 2017, Batman versus Two-Face. Yes. <laughs> Which they screened, yeah, they screened it at Comic-Con. William Shatner is Two-Face. And he's great. I mean, he really does do different voices for both sides of Harvey Dent. But the rest of the voice cast, no lie is Adam West as Batman, Burt Ward as Dick Grayson, Julie Newmar as Catwoman. Oh, wow. Yeah. No, it, it, it's super fun. It, it, it's just, it's like a laugh a minute kind of celebration of Batman 66. It's got all kinds of references in it. Um, but it's kind of knowing winks as well to the, the silliness of it, you know? So it sort of is a little poking fun while celebrating it. And it's it's just a fun watch. Um, and you can tell by the title, Two Faces in it quite a bit. And what is, give me the title one more time. Batman versus Two Face. Why have I not heard of this? I don't think you were at Comic-Con that year. Oh. No, I definitely. <laughs> no, I mean, honestly, I wouldn't have known about it if I hadn't been there. They did a screening of it in the big room. I like how Joey no. found that so biting just <laughs> yeah. now. No, I didn't mean it in a media. I know you didn't, and I didn't take it that way. But meanwhile, you got Joey over there going, oh, <laughs> oh. <laughs> I burn. I, yeah. <laughs> I don't have a comic shop anymore, but you don't have New York City Comic Con. <laughs> Suck okay. it. Jeez. <laughs> I just remembered another one. They did, Harlan Ellison had written a teleplay for the TV show that would have introduced Two-Face to the TV show that never got produced. They put it That's out right. a year or so ago as a little graphic novel. Mm-hmm. Cool. So, you know what? Just okay, read, just, I think that's it. Everybody no, just no. read all of Gotham Central. I'm going to add that yeah. to the other 200 <laughs> things I recommended. Read in all of Gotham Central. <laughs> yep. Gotham Central is good stuff. All collected. All amazing. What books... Are we looking forward to this new comic book day? Joey, what are you picking up? I am getting a few things. Bitterroot is back this week. Mm -hmm. um, Chuck Brown from Bitterroot is also on a book called On the Stump, uh, which is debuting this week for Image. The pitch is basically elections are now basically cage fights. So I'm like, what? all right, let's go. Oh, Sounds like, yeah. Um, Bang, number one from Dark Horse. This is a new Matt Kent spy story, so I'm in there. Batman's coming wow. out this week. Uh, DC East is coming back with another miniseries. Ooh. I was like, all right, we back, baby. Let's go. Okay. <laughs> um, Wonder Woman, Dead Earth, number two. A lot of DC yeah. for me lately, which has been cool. Uh, Atlantis Attacks, number two. I uh, really like the first issue. Fantastic Four, Marauders, and Captain Marvel. Um, uh, what else? Wolverine. Wolverine from Ben Percy is coming out <laughs> this week. Uh, so so I'll, I'll probably check that one out too just to stay on top of the Dawn of X stuff. And finally, there's this book called Marvel's Voices coming out this week. 
Um, and I was like, what the hell is Marvel's voices? And like the writing and, and art teams are like stacked with all these different people, right? James Iglehart is an actor from Hamilton and Aladdin, right? Brendan Montclair, Roxane Gay, Vida Ayala, Brian Stelfreeze, Luciano Vecchio, like Method Man's got a story in here. It's crazy. It's, it's wild. All these people, uh, Natasha Bustos, uh, it's great. And I was like, what is this? And then I found out that Marvel for the last year and a half has had this podcast where they just, like, talk to people, artists and actors and people, just about Marvel stuff. And I'm like, what? How come I didn't know about this? This sounds awesome. So then I proceeded to go and download a bunch of these episodes. Basically, now they're they're releasing this this um, comic book, kind of taking some of those stories and, and, and putting them to uh, comics. So I'll be checking that one out as well. Okay. That's a big week for you. Yeah. Hmm. Uh, Bob, what are you picking up? Big week for me, too. It's the third week, so it's always a big week. So Aquaman 57 by Kelly Sue DeConnick, which is the birth of the Aqua Baby. Oh, yeah. Okay. Yes. We have Superman Smashes the Clan, number three, which is the finale. <gasps> oh, I didn't know that was coming out this week. Yep. Yes. Uh, another issue of Metal Men, which is always a lot of fun. Fantastic Four 19. Captain America 19. Captain Marvel 15, where you get to see what Carol's up to now. What Avenger has she killed? Jane Foster Valkyrie number eight. We have Kelly Thompson's Deadpool number three. And I've got all the stuff that all you people recommended I have to pick up now. I have to go pick up No Man's Land and Superman Heroes and <laughs> Stump Pennyworth R.I.P. And yeah, it's like, all right. You know, whatever. I'm, I'm charging everything this week anyway, so who cares? Yeah, Jesus. <laughs> I got to add so many books to this list. Was that Bang number one? Uh, Carolyn, did you happen to make a list? Uh, no, but, okay. uh, right. to be, but that's, but th it's not because I was skimping out. It's because honestly, the only new stuff, I mean, I read Shadow of the Background, but other than that, the only new stuff I've been reading for a few months is Captain Marvel and Wonder Woman. Cause I'm just in this book writing phase. Oh. So I'll, I'll get Captain Marvel tomorrow. That's it. Okay. There's a Wonder uh, Woman giant this week, I believe. I read about sure. it, but it's it said like new stuff and old stuff. I wonder what the balance is of new and old. It's usually two new stories and then reprints generally from the last 10 or 15 years. Yeah, I guess I'll look at it. Good plan. Uh, yeah, I have very much all the books that you guys mentioned. I don't know if anybody mentioned Valkyrie, Jane Foster, number eight, Absolutely. also comes out. Yep. Uh but the other books that are on my list, in addition to the others, is uh, Middle West number 15 is coming out. I'm super looking forward to it. I believe Joey mentioned it. Wonder Woman Dead Earth number two. And uh, Heartbeat number four from Image drops this week. I believe there's one more of those before it's over. That has been a fun, weird little book. And I'm really digging it, particularly the artwork. Just absolutely gorgeous. So, uh, yeah, lots of this is a, I think this might be the biggest week that I've seen so far this year, uh, if I'm not mistaken. So that'll be fun for the old wallet. <laughs> anyway, does anybody have any closing statements before I read the stuff? No. Oh, wow. OK. On behalf of everybody here, would like to thank Carolyn for joining us. It was so lovely to have you back. Thank you for having me. Yeah. Okay. We've reached the end of this week's edition of the Talking Comics Podcast. As always, 
You can send us your comments or questions through our email podcast at talkingcomicbooks.com. We are also on Twitter at Talking Comics. Don't forget to check out TalkingComicBooks.com for reviews from our fantastic contributors. And please go and check out Talking Valiant, D&D Adventure, and of course, the ladies of Valhalla, who recently recorded uh, their brand new episode for A Conspiracy of Ravens. I believe that will be coming out this Friday, so be sure to check your feeds for that. Bob, where can our listeners find you? Old-fashioned email, Bob Ryer at TalkingComicBooks.com. Joey. Uh, at Joey Bertino. Carolyn, how about you, if you would like to give your info? Um, my best way to get hold of me is email. Um, my last name and first initial, Coca C at oldwestbury.edu. Oh, and also last week's uh, questions we don't have answers. Last month's Batgirl to Oracle and next month's Batgirl to Oracle. <laughs> Hot damn. Got a crazy oh. podcasting schedule. I don't. It just all kind of happened at once. Oh, we were lucky to get you here. I had. I just carved out this little bit in my schedule. I'm tapping my watch right now. <laughs> <laughs> uh, if you're looking to get in touch with Sarah, she is at Geek Country Lady online. Jessica is at Jarsica for all the things, and Bronwyn is at Shiny Baby B. So for Bob, uh, it's time to go whine a little. For Joey. Bye, Puddin. <laughs> For Carolyn. <laughs> Bye. Thanks again. Thank you. Uh, everybody, have a great week. Thank you for listening. Be excellent to each other. And until next time on the Talking Comics podcast, to be continued. Crazy movie plan, dude. I'm on the <laughs> A-list. There is no A-list out here. Well, you Don't know. Don't go to the movies. Go ahead. AMC A-list, Universal Healthcare. I don't know. I don't know what the trade-off yeah, is. <laughs> All we have out here is scene, and scene sucks. <laughs> anyway.